The following podcast is proudly brought to you by Vite Ramen. Use the link in the description and use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off tasty, healthy, and easy-to-make ramen. And also use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off windows, keys, and die shrink to get 3% off everything else on the website at cdkeyoffer.com. Now on with the show. Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host. Let me see. What should I call it? I'll call myself TSR Tom. Uh, and today I am joined by a guest we've had on before, one that we talked about. You know, I said TSR, I believe that's the name of Epic's, you know, competitor really to DLSS or really their version that they think is superior to DLSS and FSR, according to them. We talked about these things, I think, a little bit on our last episode, but we mostly talked about. Scaling performance with hardware and what devs look for in hardware. But this time, instead of 10 minutes, I want to have a major section be about the latest FSR 2.0 announcements, XE Super Sampling, and DLSS. So, yeah, I mean, I'll let you introduce yourself. Uh, hey, uh, I'm Brian Heemskirk. I'm the art director at Massive Damage. So I've worked in the game industry for the last, I don't know, 11 years. Um, various projects. Started mobile, which we touched on the last time, but the last mm-hmm. six and a half years I've been indie completely um and anyways yeah i've uh, art directed a lot of games shipped tons of games for various platforms um the last two big ones we did were halcyon 6 and star renegades which were pc primarily uh but they also got console ports and things like that um happy to talk about any of these things with you yeah so i i don't know how much more of an introduction there really is i think you know it was already almost a year ago when we talked. I think one of the most interesting things I re- I remember, a thing that stuck in my mind that you said was, I like asking devs, what would they, what do they wish they could have in the consoles? You mm-hmm. know, what's the first thing they would upgrade? And the Sony Santa Monica person said, please, 32 gigabytes of RAM. Yeah, yeah. I believe the Obsidian developer also said, please, 32 gigabytes of RAM over at Xbox. Yeah. And you said, can I just have 100 teraflops? Yeah, I, I, and I, I, I actually, I listened to our talk again just to make sure that I at least continued the conversation instead of rehashing things. But mm-hmm. I was like, I said that I, I'm pretty sure most people are going to say RAM was what I said. But then almost every time I've seen how developers use RAM, we typically exceed its use and then optimize down. And it didn't seem to matter how much RAM it was. I mean, I know there are a lot of specific use cases where a lot of RAM is super helpful. I personally, like, it's... RAM RAM gives you more breadth, right? And a lot of developers want more breadth to do those kind of things. So getting 32 gigs would be huge, but it's like, I can't even imagine the... Like the the way the PCBs would look with that much RAM on board for mm-hmm. you know consoles or things like that. I mean, you get a, a ton of bandwidth, which would be good if you set it up as multiple modules. But then you have like RAM modules on both sides of the board and all of those kind of mm-hmm. things. And well, the PS4 did that though. Oh yeah, which totally surprised did. everybody. Um, well, you know, actually, on that note, someone uh, who you know contributes to Moore's Laws did a lot. Carbon Cry uh, said something in the Moore's Laws at Discord a few days ago, which was that. You know, a lot of, and this stemmed from me suggesting that there's a chance AMD may go with eight gigabytes of RAM 
on a, it may be the 7600 XT, it may be the 7700 XT, I'll probably do a leak about this pretty soon, but in other words, this is Navi 33, and it's targeting kind of like what the 6600 XT was to the 5700 XT, mm -hmm. except now it's the 7600 XT to the 6900 XT, so around 6900 XT performance, probably lower in 4K, probably higher in 1080p, much smaller bus, similar amount of Infinity Cache, I think, and it only has 8 gigabytes of RAM, and I said, I think it just comes down to pricing, like, I think 8 gigabytes is, I think, enough for 1440p, I think. Would it be nice if it had 16 gigabytes? Maybe, but I, I have a feeling they would rather make it a $400 8 gigabyte card than a $550 16 gigabyte card if its performance is at all competitive with higher tier NVIDIA products. And, you know, Carbon Cry pointed out, I, I guess there's probably a lot of things you want to respond to yeah, now. Yeah, no, I'm thinking. But, but Carbon Cry said, you know, I think there's an obsession with RAM because we were like doubling RAM and it mattered so much to go from two gigabytes to three gigabytes, but it's so much to go from three to four and four to six. But at... Looking at Ampere, whether we like it or not, I mean, Ampere really, in my opinion, skimped on RAM for the majority of the lineup. Yeah. But it added a ton of teraflops, and it seems like both RDNA 3 and Lovelace are going to add just a mountain. You're going to get your way. I think you're yeah, going to yeah. get 100 teraflops. Yeah. You know, but I don't know how much RAM some of them will have, and it's you almost wonder, like, were devs putting more and more stuff in RAM at first because they kind of had to for the better textures, but then just because that was an easy way to space things out for performance? Like, might we just use compute more than we used to and not worry about RAM as much moving forward, at least linearly. Like, I don't think we're going to have 64 gigabyte cards in a few years. Like, in, I mean, we went from one, ter one gigabyte to like six gigabytes in like four years. I don't see us, you know, was it sectupling RAM yeah. in the next five years? Like, what, what do you think about scaling performance in the future leaning into teraflops just because that's what GPUs seem to have a lot more of now? Well, you know, that's kind of interesting because there's mm. there's so many ways I can go from just even that question because it's such a wide question. I'll try to tackle individual components of it. Some engines are really good at scaling RAM. Like mm -hmm. if you look at, uh, like I think RE engines are a really good example of that. There's a couple of engines yes. like um, that even if you don't have enough RAM, it kind of already manages it. It'll manage assets. You're not going to get crazy chugging performance. Some games don't. It really is engine dependent, like how good their memory management is in engine. And um, some games will be fine. Like this, that would probably be the craziest esports card that you could ever have. Because, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, if you're talking about targeting a specific market, it's like, will that have limitations in, in some upcoming games in the next two or three years? Totally. Unless it's a really good engine that has really good memory management. But, I really see that being like a crazy esports card because you get so many frames per second. And as long as the game fits in the RAM, you're, you're fine. It's just, I guess it would be restrictive in the future. I was kind of surprised that you said that it looked like it had the same amount of infinity cache. Cause I was thinking like first thing to my mind is maybe they're offsetting it with either infinity cache or they're going to offset. Well, it. they kind of are inadvertently, right? Because they're giving, this is Navi 33. This is, I think really targeting a cost to produce in between Navi 22 and Navi 23. So it's not like it's not like this tiny cheap thing like third like 23 was, you know, the 6600 XT, but it's certainly I think intended to not cost more to make than the 6700 XT. So I think you just got to think about like what they're targeting this ad and they're giving this more infinity cash than the 6600 XT than the 6700 mm. XT. Yes, a smaller bus, half the bus, but that's I think we've seen a lot of cards do a lot with Infinity Cash, and I think it's worth remembering the RAM is probably going to be 
50% faster than the 6900 XT as well. So Well, there's another thing that kind of crossed my mind in that maybe there's secret sauce that we haven't anticipated yet in the sense it's very possible that yeah. that they're working on kind of their version of either direct storage or the um like the same kind of decompression compression engines they put in the PlayStation and the Xbox on mm-hmm. hardware and that um transferring between from like NVMe SSDs to memory might be faster in the future so the amount of ram on the card maybe less i i don't know that would that would take a surprise announcement from amd when they're outlining the new architecture but i'd say two things to what you said though right is yeah i mean i've been warned numerous times that guys rdna3 is not just rdna2 with magic more ipc it's it's probably going to be organized in a radically different way yeah. ampere doesn't look like Turing, you know so I, 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 there is better memory management in RDNA 3 inherently that I'm sure helps with some of that. But at the same time, I think, again, it comes down to cost. It's like if you tell me, oh, there's a $600 card with only 8 gigabytes of RAM that hampers its 4K performance. You know, people point out the 3070, and I'm like, yeah, that's the problem I had. It's because it was, like, usually $600. Yeah. If the 3070 was 350 whatever. I'll turn down textures, man. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. care that it has that level of performance. And I think... That there's no way around that I, AMD, I think, does want this to not do as well at 4K. They want you to buy the more expensive thing. Well, 4K is a, a weird niche on PC, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the vast majority of PC gamers, because all of my friends that buy PCs typically ask me which parts they should buy. So one of the things that comes up a lot is, like, when they're buying their monitors, it's like a lot of them will opt for high frame rate, like high refresh rate, 1440p or 1080p monitors instead of going 4K. So if AMD targeted like mm-hmm. specifically like, hey, this card is for like 200 frames per second at, you know, 1440p or something, yeah. who cares, right? It's like if, if they really, or so it's either one of those two questions, either it's really targeting a specific demographic or um, they may have, made the need for an insane amount of ram less important i think it's both i think there it has to be both and um i I think that they say you know at the end of the day even if we call it the 7700 xt even if it's 500 dollars, we added 20 dollars to the cost of the 6700 xt and added 50% more performance. Are you really going to complain it has less RAM that we added 50% performance for almost the same price? I think that's the argument AMD would make, but I don't think they're going to make that argument unless they raffle stomp NVIDIA. Like if NVIDIA has a really great lineup, then they're like, oh, maybe we won't milk this card, you know? But I think that's also an aspect of it people need to think about. How many people um, fixate on, like, I guess this kind of comes to the Halo product debate, right? Because Mm -hmm. if both AMD and NVIDIA have, like whatever the 7900 XT and the 4090 or whatever, and they have ludicrous amounts of RAM, then mm-hmm. and whatever one's on top there often feeds a lot of the argument. And then people will be like, well, this one's on top. And then they buy the lower end one without looking as deeply into that card. You know, I, I there's several friends I have that <laughs> bought 30. The 6900 XT has 16 gigabytes. AMD made a big deal about RAM. And then next to me is the 6500 XT I'm testing. They're like, oh, yeah, but that one has four gigabytes. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the vast majority of people don't even... I'm, I'm surprised how often when I'm talking to someone about buying computers, how much they actually factor in RAM. They'd be like, but this is an eight gigabyte mm-hmm. card. And this is a... And I was like, I'm like, GPUs are like compositions of compute units with sets of arrays of shaders and TMUs and ROPs. And it's like RAM, as long as you have enough 
oftentimes mm-hmm. uh i mean you can tell right away when you have a game that is is putting out two high-res textures for whatever you have and then your frame rate starts chugging and then you mm-hmm. know i'm in a ram deficiency scenario but a lot of the other cases it's like most of the time it's like is there enough for it to work and so it's it's a weird thing but but people are looking for numbers it's like there's so many gpus it's like shaders are like the the structure of the gpu is so critical and the clock speed to how it performs but it's like those are the hardest things to read on the specs it'll be like on the box it'll be like gddr6 and oh yeah this, I know. And oh, oh yeah this, like marketing term seven nanometer it's not even really seven nanometer yeah, they're I like know. seven nanometer 16 gigabytes gdr6x or something <laughs> you know yeah yeah that or i mean vega advertising hbm all over the place even though i mean <laughs> yeah hbm2 yeah I mean, it had yeah. the same bandwidth as the 1080 Ti, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is funny because the Fury X had like a crazy amount of bandwidth, but didn't have much RAM speed. It was like the opposite. I think it had double the bandwidth of the Vega 64, but that's just going off the top of my head. It had double the bus width. It actually had a five percent more bandwidth. Five yeah, percent than... more bandwidth. Kind <laughs> yeah, of... so it was like too much in that case. It didn't have the the shader throughput to feed it, but. Yeah. Well, you bring up, we're on the subject of GCN, and this leads perfectly into the first reader mail. So Loophole35 writes in, he says, Good evening, Tom and Brian. With raster performance growing exponentially, it seems with the latest architectures that it still baffles me that this technology or method of upscaling, I'm talking about DLSS, FSR, XE super sampling soon, is just now being pushed. I get the idea that now we have ray tracing and it makes games with ray tracing easier to run, but couldn't we have used this a long time ago in the late 28 nanometer stagnation era with Kepler and GCN? We had low end cards back then, barely able to do 1080p 90 hertz and I mean, I mean, and it's true, like the 290X's big marketing point was it could run 4K at all, like at 30 frames. It is true. We could have used FSR back then much more. I, I, I will say, though, that my answer immediately is then even gotten around to worrying about that yet. Well, some devs had. And mm-hmm. we just we hired a few months ago a really amazing uh, rendering developer who mm. worked at Koi Tecmo for like 10 years. I don't know how many years. But they worked on Neo 2 and mm-hmm. like all sorts of but the console ports, the PC ports for all of that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, we had kind of a, an interesting talk. So he was saying that with FSR 1.0, you have to, it, it takes it, if you're doing it in the actual game, you have to do it at the anti-aliasing pass because you want it to be in that specific pass because then it doesn't interfere with your overlays and your UI and stuff like that, right? Um, with FSR 2.0 and that it has to go earlier in the render pipeline. Same with the LSS yep. because you need temporal information. Now, some engines already give this to you. And any this is kind of the thing is it's going to be less implementable. Uh, my guess is it's less implementable than FSR 1.0. So you're not going to be seeing it. In just- I think that's pretty obvious in how they're talking about it, right? When the FSR 1.0 was announced, it was like, oh, it takes two hours to add. And they were like making these huge claims. And I'm looking at there and they're like, we can make it take four weeks to three days. And I'm like, this is a very different time scale to what you said about 1.0, well, guys. If you look at FSR 1.0, I mean, people are just taking it and they're putting it in emulators. Like the Steam Deck just put mm-hmm. it in in the OS. So it's implementing it like everywhere because it's so easy. Yeah, at that point, you're putting it at the absolute end of the frame and then it's doing it to UI and stuff that you probably don't want. But it's it's interesting how flexible of a technology it is versus when Temporal has much better results. And I mean, it can have some issues with ghosting and motion and things like that, but it has major strengths because, I mean, uh, did you check the Matrix demo out for Unreal 5? 
I did, and well, yeah, you you go first. What, what do you have to say about it? I did check it out. Well, they have a um, they have a section where you turn on their temporal solution and off, and it's like it's amazing the difference with that specific one. It's like, mind you, it's like I'm curious because when you play the actual game, there's like a lot of haloing around the character, and I'm not. There sure. is. There's a ton of haloing. Like it was actually distracting for me. It was. So that was the. I'm, I'm like, I'm glad we're noticing the same things. It makes it easy to talk about. But it's like I don't know if that's a byproduct of how aggressive their temporal solution is. And mm-hmm. this is kind of. I know something you wanted to touch on is it's it's something where in theory. Uh, AI super sampling might be able to make up for where a purely temporal solution might not, but I, I, you'd have to test these things, right? We'd have to check out algorithms and see whether they're actually doing it to make, I don't like, I'm not sure I've, I haven't seen that personally, but. Well, so let's back up though, and start with DLSS before we get to FSR again, because I I just kind of want to set a baseline at the, and again, I made videos where I was like, let's be very clear, FSR isn't the same thing as DLSS. I know if we even talk about them in the same breath, there are, for some reason, always people that get mad we're comparing them, but I'm just going to put this disclaimer out in the beginning, everybody. AMD is making FSR because DLSS exists. They didn't start working on this. And then, so it is basically competing with DLSS, though, whether you guys, I think, that's my opinion at this point, whether you admit it or not, it's at least there to nullify an advantage NVIDIA is marketing that they have right now. And there's just, it's not the same technology, doesn't work the same way, but at the end of the day, we're trying to make images look better or have games get better frame rates than they would otherwise without noticing a degradation in quality. And I know DLSS right now argues it looks better than native, but going back to DLSS 1, I mean, what did you think about it? Because I do not think it looked better than native when it first came out. DLSS 1 didn't look better than native it looked like smeary there was a lot of like weird smeariness that was happening on screen i think dlss 2 is where that dramatically improved but um yeah i see the thing is that dlss versus fsr1 are dramatically different because they're oh they are one spatial one's taking a mixture of temporal mm-hmm. and ai um whereas fsr2 is probably 70 to 80 percent more similar and yes. that's you know, and then the question is, is how much is your temporal motion vectors? So a lot of it is is motion vectors just tracking pixels on previous frames and then knowing where to put them on new frames, from what I understand. So we're talking about the need for temporal, right? And the for sorry, for visual upsampling. And the main reason that there's a need for it is probably the law of diminishing returns. If you look at the GPU difference between like a base PS4 to a mm-hmm. PS5, it's like what is it? It's 1.8 teraflops going to 10. So it's like a 5.5 times increase in just raw throughput. Obviously, there's a lot of architectural innovations that come along with that. So, I mean, if you go from 1080p to 4K, that's already taking up a huge portion of that budget. So people are buying the high-end TVs and they want to take advantage of them, right? And we want to deliver something that's filling those pixels. However, they sh- how they should fill them. If we want the game to look as good as it humanly possibly can, we probably should set the resolution target at something like 1440p and do the rest via some mm-hmm. scaling algorithm, right? Because the reality is, is even in native 4K games, because of that problem I was telling you before of just how harsh the raster output is of one side of the pixel is that they can look pretty like some, I've seen games with a good temporal upscaling solution that look better on a 4K TV than games that are native 4K on that TV mm-hmm. just from having better 
um, better upsampling technology and that they're accommodating for some of these these stray pixels, let's say, right? So it's like, it's two things. They don't want to go native 4K because then they can't make the game look as good as they want, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, want to, they want to up the resolution somewhat to like 1440p or something, but then scale the rest of the way. And I think that everyone was having this problem. They want the games to look as good as humanly possible. The engines are being developed with these tools in mind. And this is something that I was going to talk about with FSR 2.0 and DLSS is modern engines are already kind of built with motion vectors in place and things that are necessary. So it's like um, Unity and Unreal both have motion vectors ready to use DLSS and things like this now. There's there's specific parts. With un- Unity, it means that you you have to use the HDRP pipeline, I think. You can't use their, their legacy rendering pipeline. So, and there's strengths and caveats that come to changing your mm-hmm. rendering pipeline for that. But anyone who essentially already has built the framework where they can include DLSS should be able to include FSR because it's using more or less the same information. Now, NVIDIA is and XESS, which are, you mentioned here, is, is looking into using AI upscaling for at least part of it. I don't know what that mm. looks like yet. And the thing for is... For XE, no. We don't really know yet. When I was, I was talking to Wendell about, from Level 1 Tech about this, and he was telling me that the training is the part where AI is needed the most. So yeah. training, but once you have it trained, you could kind of run that algorithm on most things. You might not be able to run it as quickly. Right, which is my understanding of what NVIDIA is doing right now. You know, they have one thing that they train and improve in the back end, and they're like, this is the algorithm. This is DLSS 2.3. We've made these improvements with the latest one. You know, and I, I, and I do want to – that's a good point, though, like – the whole AMD working on FSR on their own because it just makes sense basically is how I might condense what you said there. I mean, because at a certain point going from PS2 to PS3, it's like, I don't even know the difference in gigaflops it was back then. It's like <laughs> yeah. 100, I don't know, 100 times more? It's an absurd amount more. Like, But that it's like, yeah, we'll make the game look 10 times better because we have 100 more gigaflops. Yeah. But now it's like, yeah, so we have 10 times the teraflops. It's not going to look 10 times better. We're going to need to make up for this crossing of the uncanny valley because it's going to take 10 times the teraflops to do it and we don't i mean we'd rather frankly people would rather use that for rendering or mining probably than playing a game at that point so we we need to do something with upscaling so i agree that amd was certainly probably working on this in the background and everyone undoubtedly has been i mean you see a lot of first party studios at like sony specifically They've got a lot of their own stuff clearly figured out with upscaling in a lot of those games without FSR. But I don't know. I just feel like DLSS made it more urgent. And I guess this actually makes me think of something that about DLSS 1.0 as well. Do you believe NVIDIA, from the inception of Turing, was thinking about using the tensor cores for like something like DLSS 1.0? Or do you think they designed Turing mostly for ray tracing, knew it wouldn't be useful to gamers for years, and then found a way to use some of those components for the original version of DLSS, which to my knowledge doesn't really use those cores anymore for DLSS, I don't think, actually. No, I, think I don't it, think it does for DLSS. I, I think it, it did might, it first. It did it first, but I, I don't think it does anymore. Okay, so... But you see my question, do you think NVIDIA intended from the beginning to have tensor cores to use DLSS, or my suspicion the whole time was, no, it was for ray tracing, and they found a way to use them for DLSS Well, the RT cores are different than the tensor cores, right? So yes, they are, they're, yeah. they're different components in the GPU, but the... Okay. But so, I believe the tensor cores do the denoising and ray tracing, Yes, right? they do. They, they help with the denoising. So, um, okay. The NVIDIA loves proprietary things, and they have been 
insanely in love with it since CUDA. Mm-hmm. Since they've been able to corner CUDA entirely, they've been absolutely in love with their proprietary technologies. Because if they can claim complete ownership, they can force scenarios. And this is something mm-hmm. I wanted to get into you with you, that AMD probably has the only chance it has for severe market share in the next three years. And I, I have a thought on that. But like somewhere in the next three to five years. But that's that's something we can get into in a minute. Um, and NVIDIA saw it as an opportunity to incorporate this. The hardware was there. They were doing it because they wanted one design that they could push across all of their server GPUs, would be my guess, right? Mm-hmm. And then if they can find secondary uses for it in gaming, great. Right now, it's just kind of like an open... And, and I know at some points in the past, you may have mentioned that you, uh, you're like, should they even put it on GPUs? And I'm like, I, my stance is I feel like they should have machine learning on the GPUs, not for any current implementation, but for things they might think of later. Like, I think mm. the most interesting examples aren't really like um, DLSS or something like that. I think that Microsoft... So my opinion two years ago, I've heard it quoted like that, but my opinion, the way I'd phrase it, and my opinions have changed since totally. then, but... Two years ago, what I thought about the Tensor cores was not necessarily that they were a bad idea, but that they were clearly not gamer first Mm -hmm. and that they might not be as much of the die space if this was truly a gamer first architecture and that now they're married to them and they kind of have to use them. Yeah, yeah. Because you're using like 20% of your die space or something for it anyways. <laughs> but they clearly didn't need them. They had versions yeah. of Turing without Tensor Cores, the 1600 series. So they could have just had probably 20% more teraflops and not worried about it if they wanted to. Well, so, but the funny thing, and, and to transition a little more than it, about DLSS 1.0 is eventually they kind of stopped. My understanding is they don't even use the Tensor Cores anymore yeah. in DLSS because it added latency and it just wasn't a good idea. It, it didn't make any sense. And it's funny how it almost seems like FSR 2.0 is now becoming more DLSS-like as well. And they're starting to converge slightly in how they work a little bit. But before before we get to FSR 2.0, I do want to get to a section here where, like, how would you describe how FSR 1.0 works? Because it's changing a lot to 2.0. Yeah, well, it's so it's, it's going from a spatial to a temporal upscaler. A spatial upscaler, you can either just take the frame and do it to, or you can do it in the anti-aliasing pass if you want so wherever you would be putting whatever FXAA or MSAA or whatever anti-aliasing uh, TAA into your pipeline, you would be able to kind of implement FSR 1.0 there. This is for the, the dev that I was asking a bunch of questions about this to, uh, the rendering dev. And uh, whereas FSR 2.0, you can have no choice but to put it earlier in the pipeline around when you're accumulating motion vectors and things like that. Mm-hmm. So because of that, you're not going to get the crazy... because you're not going to get the crazy use cases of the FSR 1.0 that we're getting like emulators, just people injecting it into emulators because it's so easy to put anywhere in the pipeline. Or We're know, not going to get that with 2.0. You probably, well, I mean, I, I'm not going to say that conclusively. There might be a way, but it's going to be harder sure. to do. It might be easier to do for people who own, like it's easier for, let's say, Unreal to go in and put this because it's easy. It's more of an engine level thing rather than a driver level thing or because we're seeing RSR, which is injecting 1.0 into the driver level. We're seeing the Steam Deck, which is putting it in the OS level. We're seeing where the FSR 1.0 is so flexible, you can kind of just put it anywhere. By going to Temporal, they're, they're, they're fighting the notion that it's an inferior product to yes. DLSS because the visual output will be better. There's a chance of ghosting. There's a chance of all of that. Although it won't be bad if it's going from like 1440p to 
4K, the biggest risk for it is if it's going lower than it's going 1080p or lower. But you know, it's you're going to get some artifacting, you're going to get some ghosting, maybe unless they've they've really improved the algorithm because they're not all equal, right? You look at uh, sort of some of um, Sony solutions with um, Ratchet and Clank and Spider-Man both use a form of TAA. God of War, I'm pretty sure uses TAA. Um, like all of these have temporal solutions, you know, and it's like varying quality, right? It's like, they're all pretty good. Like when you, I like the RE engine ones. The, the other thing to keep in mind is with lower resolution buffers, and you can see it kind of with the FSR2 video demo is oftentimes um, effects are tied to lower resolutions, right? So it's like, it could be your shadow resolutions yeah. or it can be your your ambient occlusion or it can be your, um, there's all of these different aspects of of game graphics and you might have, or your, your volumetric lights, let's say, you have those at like quarter res or half res. So what you could end up with on FSR 2.0 is some of those having more artifacting and it'd be harder to, might be harder to make those things completely tangible, but, um, and that's that's going to be an issue with anything lowering resolution. And that's something that maybe um, deep learning could compensate for the mm -hmm. lower resolution effects that are being blended together, whereas a pure TAA solution won't have that. Um, so I don't know. Like, I would have to to really... This is If I was at GDC right now, I would be at mm -hmm. these conferences asking those exact questions to NVIDIA and AMD engineers. And Well, so what do you... Um... What do you think about the quality, just generally speaking? Have you used FSR? I have. Well, I, I've, I've used FSR 1.0. I've used all of these. Um, I feel like sometimes it's fine. Actually, I feel like low res on PC isn't great, but on the Steam Deck, sometimes I can't even notice that I turn it on. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of an interesting... It depends on the game and the scene, though, because I've been starting to mess with it on the 6500 XT next to me, and I was surprised at what resolutions I thought it actually still looked fine, especially when I've seen some some comparisons you know, online on YouTube where it just looks horrible, but at least so far what I'm testing, FSR seems pretty dang impressive to me, even in 1.0, to be honest. I don't know that it looks as good as the best DLSS that I've tried, but it looks pretty good. Some... Okay, DLSS looks amazing most of the time. I feel like there's just weird edge cases where there's strangeness to it, like the doors and control and in the shutters, there's like blinds with the individual shutters mm -hmm. in Cyberpunk and they go kind of crazy. Like there's something about it that actually hurts me to look at them. And if I turn DLSS off, it looks fine. So there's there's something about either how the temporal information is calculating where pixels should be that's not consistent on a frame-to-frame -frame basis in extremely dense textures like or areas where um, the lighting isn't consistent enough from frame-to-frame -frame, and it's like the calculations for DLSS are off by one pixel one direction or another too often on a frame-by-frame -frame basis mm -hmm. and that I don't see that as much with FSR but the overall image quality is better with DLSS. I think all of these image upsampling texts are fascinating. I think that, you know, they're definitely the future, um, but it's which one's going to win out. And this is kind of what I was, I was mentioning. AMD has one of the biggest chances it has because as a game artist who has to work mm. in a lot of different tools, whatever, ZBrush, Maya, Photoshop, everything, it's like NVIDIA, NVIDIA's embeddedness makes it harder to work on Radeon hardware, even if Radeon hardware is better. So let's mm -hmm. say if it even when it's if whether it is or whether it isn't is irrelevant. It's like the software solutions are so ubiquitously is that 
probably said that wrong, uh, tied to NVIDIA. And it's like, but AMD has its biggest chance in the next tool, like and somewhere between two to five years, because I guarantee Unreal mm. is working on all of the things that every other 3D software is currently doing. I guarantee they're working on a 3D modeling. I guarantee they're working on all of that stuff. And when you have one solution, instead of several software packages that have allegiances to a specific hardware vendor one way or another, mm -hmm. then there is an opportunity for just winning with straight up hardware. Because right now it's really like, to be honest, between um, RDNA 3 and Lovelace, it's like even if RDNA 3 was 30 to 40% more powerful, let's mm -hmm. say, it would be almost impossible to shift uh, developers of video games over to it with the current ecosystems. Yeah. What they would need is a, a software. And I'd love to talk to AMD about this because I have some ideas, but it's like of, of what they could do. But this is a window they have to take advantage of because tools are starting to aggregate by engine holders. And that's their primary opportunity to get in. I was doing some research, you know, in preparation for this episode, and I looked around at adoption because I think it's coming down to adoption a lot of the time because I have a lot of games that, you know, just a year ago, I was still kind of calling DLSS a joke. And now whether it's Battlefield or well, let me think uh, or Metro or Mountain Blade Bannerlord, a lot of my games now support DLSS and it makes a big difference in some of them for what my graphics card can run. And I think AMD made the argument that they're going to get a ton of adoption quickly because it's easier to implement. And right now, based on what I've seen reported, at least I, I've read something on PC Mag that AMD has FSR support in 80 games and that DLSS is in over 150. And so AMD would say, well, DLSS had like three games in its first year. We have 80 games in our first year. We're getting adopted way faster. We'll overtake them soon. But here's the interesting thing. I thought, oh, let me look into this, though. A year ago, when FSR came out, DLSS was in 40 games. So in the year FSR has been out, AMD's got adoption in 80 games. NVIDIA's got adoption in an additional 110. So actually, although AMD's being taken up quicker, more games are adopting DLSS per month than FSR right now. And I think that's a major issue for AMD if they're tied, though, because... A lot of the games with DLSS don't have native FSR support because NVIDIA doesn't want them to. <laughs> yeah, well, this is a... Okay, I can answer this and like, I could talk about this in three ways that I think of. Um, the uptake is, is partially sponsorship and support and the other uptake mm -hmm. is partially engine readiness is that our engines or game engines were not ready for current gen. They weren't ready for modern PCs. By modern PCs, I mean anything... RDNA one to two and above and anything from the GeForce 2000 series and above. And now our engines are catching up. And so for instance, all of these games that are now, mm. all these new games are being built on engines that already have motion vectors incorporated. In the year that DLSS came out, very few engines had that built in. So updating our engines to have the, the kind of the precursor technologies to even That's do true, this. That's true, yeah. Because I think you they needed like DX12 even for like DLSS and like yeah there are entire agents that just couldn't add DLSS. So I can I, I can kind of touch on this in an interesting way because I think one of the weirder things about Nvidia's stranglehold on the PC industry is um, where it holds games back. Not that uh -huh. they they push games forward in some regards and they hold games back in others. I don't want to be completely 
hard on them. But I, I, I would agree with both of those statements. I think that we can't pretend they don't push things forward sometimes, but at the same time, feels like whatever they do, my opinion, to push things forward half the time comes with a lot of caveats where I, I'm worried it's going to be more of like a snapback in reality. Yeah. So I, like I can name it with a specific example. Um, so when I was talking to the, the dev that worked on Neo 2, they were talking mm-hmm. about doing all of the, at the time it was the PS4 Pro optimizations. So they implemented half floats all over the place. And mm-hmm. um, it was kind of funny because the half floats, they got like a huge performance boost when they switched to half floats, but there was like tons of graphic artifacts. So it's like, and you only notice them in certain areas, like the sky, the banding and gradations between the colors. Oh, yeah. And then people were like, why did the sky go so weird? And they didn't notice it in like 90% of the textures that they made the difference, but they were, then they had to go and manually tag any textures where they noticed where they were and then change them to full uh, 32-bit floats. Right. And one of the interesting things is when they went to go to the PC port, they scrapped all of the AMD optimizations because hmm. GeForce didn't have half floats at that point in time. GeForce didn't have asynchronous yeah. compute. So the PC version actually flagged, they got rid of a lot of their AMD optimizations to support DirectX, to support all of this. So it's like, I remember the, all these conversations of being like, oh, well, you know, we'll optimize for the hardware and then PCs will take advantage of it. But I've seen examples where, Devs have mm. had to scrap optimizations to reach a, a wider PC audience. No, that that's interesting because I see that happen all the time where you'll get games that seem pretty dang well optimized that run better than most of their peers for the performance you're getting on the consoles that have AMD hardware. Then you go to PC and it's just a complete NVIDIA sponsor fest. Well, I think that the, the worst and the most egregious example of that, in my opinion, was God of War. And that people praising it as this really good PC port when I feel it's the exact opposite. That's my personal stance. It's just, so they went from like having some of the most robust um, particle simulations being done in asynchronous compute using all of these Mm -hmm. interesting hardware features. And then they go DirectX 11, lose complete access to all asynchronous compute and having massive, and it performs terribly on Radeon compared to GeForce. They do really well on GeForce cards. And it's just, it's such a weird thing for a game that was so beautifully optimized for Radeon. Mm -hmm. So it's like to go to PC and literally cut all of its really well thought out optimizations for Radeon hardware. It's it's a strange thing. And I, I, I was trying to get to something specific about NVIDIA pushing games forward and holding them back. And I feel like this is, kind of where that the crux of that conversation is. And it's like, I, I really respect NVIDIA every time they engineer new features. It's like, I'm actually mm-hmm. fairly up on RTX cores and um, I like any new hardware innovations. When they, when they pull things in Silicon and they try new things, I'm always excited for those because it meets new ideas for the future. When you scrap out hardware, I'm less interested. When you're, you know, let an API go way past its usefulness, it, it's something that bothers me. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, I think we see a lot of these kind of things with, with hardware. Like, so with FSR 2.0 and DLSS, they get injected into the same part of the pipeline with 2.0. Now, if you have the setup in place for DLSS, you have the setup in place for FSR in modern games. So the, and the thing is, is that developers on console are going to be taking advantage of FSR 2.0 or some version of temporal upscaling. So the weirder thing that we have to watch for looking forward is when developers have that tech in consoles and they scrap it on PC. Mm. I think that if there's anything to look for, it's that. 
because you mean like specifically FSR 2.0 on a console, yeah. but not on PC. If there, Do you think that would really happen? You know how bad that would look. I don't like, know. I'm just saying. What would AMD what? say? But I, I mean, you're you're right though. Arguably, they're doing worse than that now. We just don't know because most people don't pay attention to like yeah, P16 performance and stuff and how a game works. Yeah, totally. But so, you're right. You could argue they are doing that. So I like if I bring out the example of the God of War port and um, Neo 2, those are specific examples where developers had to do that, right? And then they probably have good reasons. I'm not trying to badmouth the badmouth those. I mean, it does open them up to a much wider hardware, uh, sorry, much wider mm-hmm. user base, and they they might have no choice in that. It just financially makes sense. But I think that if you were looking for sketchy happenings, it would be games that already have those features turned off, especially when it runs both anyways. Like if the if the console version ships with FSR 2.0 and the PC version only ships with the LSS, that's kind of like a stranger thing. And that we won't know for two years whether that's the case or not, but those would be examples to look for. Today's video is brought to you by CDKeyOffer.com. As I put together a new benchmarking station for 2022, I know that whether it's running Windows 10 or Windows 11, I will be getting that key from CDKeyOffer.com. And that's because it's a reliable, long-term sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead that gets you reasonable prices on legitimate keys for these types of products but it's really not all that they offer they also can give you keys for microsoft office uh keys for playstation codes and even some of the latest pc releases like elden ring a game that i'm enjoying quite a bit whatever you need cd key offer probably has you covered and they're always running sales but make sure you use the best code possible and that's the ones provided for the moore's law is dead fans moore's law is dead fans get the biggest discount and if you go to the link on screen or in the description you can use code broken silicon to get 25 percent off microsoft products and dyshring to get three percent off everything else on the website using these codes really does help moore's law is dead and it helps you play reasonable prices for games that you want in keys that frankly you just have to use half of the time so again use the link in the description use broken silicon use dyshring depending on the products you're getting and pay reasonable prices for keys today at cdkeyoffer.com you know what do you think about it in the other direction like for example i look at a game like far cry 6 and it has fsr on pc why does it not have fsr on playstation 5 and xbox series x when it was a dynamic resolution usually below 4k i mean if they turn fsr on couldn't they've just hit 4k lock 60 with no frame drops i mean what are they it might have just been like an engine based setup on their part when they're making the games like the the way that tools interface with consoles when you're doing builds and stuff you might implement features Mm -hmm. in one that's a separate like they can be islands from one another like at a certain point there's like kind of like a splitting point in a game's development where you could end up managing like three code paths that are optimizations for different hardware and there's Mm -hmm. especially it's it's hard to even look at it right now because um, I think it's a more of a factor when you look two or three years down the, the road because the, it's first of all it's different teams when you get to that big if you're getting a AAA mm-hmm. game right and you have you have a PC team a porting team and and there could be just people on those teams that are excited about different technologies or people that are mm-hmm. uninterested but when you go a few years down the road and all of these things are done at an engine level then it's it's going to be more transparent right it's like for the startup of a generation like they weren't sure whether they had hardware support for some of these things. I mean, it's clear now FSR 1.0 could be put anywhere. You can put it on an emulator, mm-hmm. you can inject it. And, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see what happens after these NVIDIA leaks with 
how proprietary their hardware is. So it's like, because I mean, CUDA has been their breadwinner for a long time. And if somehow that gets broken open, that would change a lot. But so you wouldn't read into it too much on FSR not being in a lot of console games yet. You're saying you just wouldn't read into it. It's not a surprise because it's new. Yeah, I would say that like wait for like, I mean, devs are usually really game focused and not that tech. Fo- Some are like this is the thing about stating anything outright like that is there, mm. there are more tech focused devs and there are devs that are really focused on making their particular game. And, you know, it just might not be something that even comes into their train of thought if they're just focusing on shipping a game, right? But then the other thing to keep in mind is that like all of these people in a studio are different people, right? It's like the dev mm-hmm. team's different than the art team. It's different than the design team. It's different than any of these things. And it's like, some of them might have more cycles. Some of them might have individuals that are more excited to implement specific technologies, right? And then it's their job to. It's like, this. these kind of techs are like, um, as much as I'm fascinated about them, I rarely have an opportunity to try to push for them in the games that I work on, right? Because it's just, it's not my... My wheelhouse is art and art direction. So it's like what what the game looks like and I can push for it as much as I can in that, but it's like, I can't implement them. I'm not gonna wanna be going typing in the code and implementing any of these rendering techs. So I, I have more power to ask for them than I ever did in the past. But at the same time, it's at the discretion of the development team, right? And that's the way a lot of these studios work. And then it gets even different when you're talking about, you know, ports, because that port to PC could be done by a completely different team. Mm-hmm. And then if it's, is being done by a different team that there might not be any communication. It's like, I can, I can tell you from my experience, even shipping star renegades that, you know, the switch port did 12 things visually that I'm not happy with, but mm-hmm. I didn't have the power to you change You weren't in it. charge of it. Yeah. And it's like, despite doing like the vast majority of the art that went in that game. So it's like, I don't, I don't know what to say in that regard. It's like, it, it's like a big ship, right? This game, any game is like a big ship moving in a set direction and you can steer it as much as you can, but sometimes you, you know, um, there are people that'll be excited one way or another, DLSS, FSR, or any of this. And it's like, or they'll see an opportunity and they'll be like, oh, we can fit this in. And sometimes there's just no time for it. They just, they wish there was more time. So I guess to put a cap on the last part of like one of those things I just brought up though, how much would you read into the fact that, because again, I don't think I've seen anyone else point this out. Everyone just goes, oh, well, you know, AMD is getting adoption faster percentage wise. And I'm like, yes, but in the year FSR has been out, NVIDIA's added more DLSS games and AMD's added FSR games. Would you read much into that? Or do you think yeah. that's just the same thing? Steering a ship, momentum? No, no, you know? it, that, that competition always pushes these kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, nvidia i feel like this this is a a weird thing i am really not a fan of the 1060 there's a lot of Mm -hmm. hardware from nvidia that i am a fan of so i'm not trying to badmouth them outwards but 1060 in my opinion was a a pretty bad graphics card that performed in DirectX 11 as good as it ever was going to and it was never going Mm -hmm. to age particularly well and it was never going to be like a fine wine card. You're not going to play that in a fuse and be like, this is a great card. It was always a card that was already mm-hmm. doing everything it could do to just barely hold your games together. That was, mm-hmm. but it sold like absolute crazy. And that, like, that's the, the type of stuff I, I don't like. And I feel like if NVIDIA doesn't have competition, that's the kind of hardware that you get or the, the software implementations you get. And then as mm-hmm. soon as AMD actually gets on their toes and stands up in NVIDIA's face, then they really push the boundaries. I mean, they might push the wattage too, which is a different conversation, but they, they'll push. We the, can talk about that later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> They push the boundaries of what these things are capable of. And it's like, 
the the most boring tech has ever been to me was when AMD was almost completely out and Intel had its complete CPU monopoly. I th- mm-hmm. Like that was, it was just not very interesting, right? It's like shipping the same hardware over and over again with slight, like just enough to make sure that everyone was rebuying the new hardware without pushing new tech innovations. But the more that AMD has risen to both fight Intel and NVIDIA, the more both of them have stepped up their game. Mm-hmm. Well, so do you think RSR is just, I mean, it is just a logical thing to bring out as a compliment because you can, you'll never be able to manually put support into every game. So just having that as an option of the driver level is nice. But I, I don't know. I think that a lot of it also is they want to make sure, you know, as things start to come back in stock and are readily available, they want to make sure that there is that option for every game you play. But have you played around with RSR? Did you try it yet or anything like I that? I haven't had a chance to yet. My 5700 XT is in my daughter's computer and I haven't been able to go up and play around not to give that a, a go, but I'd be curious to, because that's at the 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 Radeon driver level. So I think AMD saw or taught, we're talking to Valve about what they were doing with the Steam Deck and seeing it implemented at an OS level. And they're also Mm -hmm. seeing what, because I think that FSR was also implemented to what Reshade, which is the PC plugin they pull into all sorts of games. It was implemented mm-hmm. into emulators and all of this. And they're like, well, if, if everyone's doing the work of implementing this everywhere anyways, why don't we just give access to them at the driver level so that people can don't have to set it in individual things, right? We have this version of it. And then they also were aware of the fact that they might have a branding conflict going forward. Because at some point in time, FSR 1.0 is going to be RSR and RSR only because FSR 2.0 is going to be their true competitor. So there, mm-hmm. it feels like a, a split in branding. They're, they're, they're kind of moving FSR 1 to RSR. Because in it's their more general purpose, easy to implement, you can throw it on a totally. Option. And it's it's even to the point where it's in the driver, right? And if you need it implemented for all hardware for Intel graphics, for NVIDIA graphics, then you can implement it on the engine level. Otherwise, it's on the driver level. And then they can start differentiating between that and FSR. Because then FSR is going to be their quality, right? Mm-hmm. For their actual competition against DLSS and RR RSR is going to be just implementing a general purpose upscaler at the end of the pipeline. Yeah, the thing is with RSR, but you haven't tested it, so we probably don't need to talk about it too much, is Dan is a six, the co-host of the news episodes of Broken Silicon. He has a 6700 XT. I, I have a 3070. I, I haven't had a chance to try RSR yet. Um, but he said it just basically didn't work in half the games he tried. Yeah. And when I went to the Reddit and lo- the AMD subreddit and looked around, I also looked at the YouTube comments. Honestly, half of the people said it was amazing, and the other half of the people said broke my drivers or something. Oh, yeah. So I, I don't know. You haven't tried it, so I don't know if you have that many thoughts. My my thought just from that is it has to be, I I think just AMD has to start pulling out the checkbook and paying to put this FSR in every game like NVIDIA is with DLSS because RSR is just not going to work in some games randomly because it's at the driver level and there's going to be weird bugs that pop up. It's kind of a weird thing to say about AMD because they're a company that is literally doing much better than it should considering it's fighting mm. two companies that are 10 times bigger than it. And, mm. you know, it's it's amazing that they've held up as well as they have in the last five or six years and that they've made the innovations that they've had. And the, the thing is, is that AMD is pretty much making all of its innovations uphill. And what I mean is it's like virtually every bit of software that you run is done on the Intel compiler. We've never even really seen what 
Ryzen does mm. when like software is perfectly tuned for it, right? It's like we don't know what <laughs> besides the consoles, maybe. maybe. That's basically well, even it. still a lot of those games are telling you. But it's like, yeah. you know, it's like a lot of these things, it's like the legacy of this tech. We've never seen it. So it's like it's amazing that it's done as well as it has. And it's like, I mean, Intel really stepped up with 12th gen. So to because they needed to, but because they were losing so much ground in the desktop space. But it's like, I don't know. It's like when you say payout for all of these features, it's like AMD's got to get in on the, the engine level with all of these things where it's mm. like literally for most devs, just clicking a box earlier on in your game development, not troubleshooting at the end of the pipeline, mm -hmm. at the end of shipping a game. If you like, I could tell you right now, it's like we're building a new game. You pull in the newest version of, let's say, Unreal or Unity. And when you're first building a game, it's like, oh, which which screen space ambient occlusion, which ambient occlusion do we want? There's like five check boxes. You play around with it, right? It's like, you don't do that at the end of the game development. You're working on like the 50th stage of something. You're much less likely to implement that. When you're early and you're setting the tone and the visual direction, you're more likely to pull these texts and features in from at least my standpoint, right? It's like, but once you're set in that, you're just trying to create a workflow to finish the rest of your game. A lot of the exploration for this kind of stuff happens early on. So if AMD wants a chance at any of this, they have to get in, in, in like basically every engine. They need to make sure that there are a checkbox in Unity, a checkbox in Unreal, in RE Engine. Yeah, you said that earlier in this episode's discussion as well. And I think that is an interesting point that while FSR is easy to implement, it doesn't change the fact that they don't want to add something new at the end of a game. Yeah. And getting in at the engine level might actually help FSR get more div <laughs> get more support because they have to do it early in the design of a game totally if, if like let's say they talk with unreal or like either through the relationship with playstation microsoft and unreal and get mm -hmm. it in there as a possible fsr 2.0 as a feature then game devs will have the opportunity to test let unreal's taa and test they'll they'll just click dlss they'll click fsr 2.0 they'll click that and they'll check the visual differences and they'll determine which ones to include with their game right and the earlier you get that in the engine tech the more likely it's going to ship in lots of games so I think that there's there's two things. I think that AMD's competition with NVIDIA has pushed them to implement this into set more games, like you were saying. And on top of that, the engines are getting more ready. So more games that will come out will support these techs because the, these new technologies, because it's just already in. More game developers are coming at the part in the game development where they're seeing it more as a checkbox rather than something that might mess up their entire thing by the end of the development cycle. So I think we agree then... And, and, you know, look, we're going to need third-party testing in a few months. We're going to have to see if it looks as good in every game as their, as the presentations they put out, you know, as of this recording, portray FSR 2.0 as it will look. But it seems like we, and I and I have no reason to doubt it really. I will be impressed, though, but I think we both kind of expect FSR 2.0 to pretty much match the latest DLSS quality most of the time. And pretty much equal it right yeah that's my guess i would like to be honest when you're looking at i like i personally when i look at re engines temporal when i look at unreal engines temporal mm. when i look at uh like ratchet and clank the latest release whatever they're using at insomniac and when i look at um dlss i'm like it's so hard to count pixels like when you look at what digital foundry does to figure out what the resolution is they need mm -hmm. the, the, they need the scene transitions they're waiting for a scene transition <laughs> to even know what the resolution is. They can only count the first frame of every yeah. 
of every location. So it's like, well, yeah, I was I was blown blown away, and maybe you'll agree. Like in what is it, the Demon Souls remake in performance mode on the PS5? That technically the native res before they use their upscaling technology in that engine is 1440p, and I'm like, really, this looks sharper than some of these native 4K games I've seen on consoles or PC. That might have been the example that I was using because I mentioned earlier too. It's like I played native 4K games that look worse than temporal scaled 1440p games, and that maybe the Demon Souls up is probably the best example man it's it's kind of weird because i am pl- well, so my, my question then is where do you think fsr goes from here like what's the next thing to improve and i same question for dlss like do you and, and it, it's a thing i posited in the last broken silicon is do you think eventually amd starts adopting some form of machine learning to help with the algorithm in the back end or something eventually and a reason it didn't do that right away is because that's like really esoteric hard complex and fsr 1.0 was never going to use machine learning because you don't just add that to something it takes a lot of time to plan it out like do you think they eventually do start doing that yeah i okay i i have kind of like a weird thought to tie into the the intel xe super sampling because Perfect. i thought it was kind of funny if if let's say I know Intel's probably holding back their release, maybe not because the hardware is the trouble, but because they're really worried about sensitivity around drivers because they'll have forever living. Let me down. jump in. I'm 99% sure that's what it is. And I keep saying that in my leaks about Alchemist. Like, you know, I had pictures of Alchemist a year ago, so I've been following its development. When people say, I wonder when it's going to be produced, guys, it was, it was produced a month, a month ago. Like they're already, they're produ- I have the logs. For production i'm not going to go into more detail on what i have but I, I literally know production weeks it's being produced or it's already produced there's warehouses somewhere holding these cards and the drivers aren't ready is my understanding and i think you're right the software stack like if they don't have an answer to half of this stuff no one's going to buy it i thought it would be kind of funny if intel xe super sim so amd's problem is scale mm-hmm. nvidia has scale intel has scale but intel has no current uh let's say public facing right to stand in the GPU space. So they have to earn the right to stand around with everyone else, right? Mm-hmm. And their XC super sampling is kind of interesting because Intel has the resources to train a really good mm-hmm. like like we were saying before, once you've built the the training algorithm, once you've trained the AI, you can run it on anything. So their big advantage coming into this space is that they can get positive press by simply releasing a really good temporal upscaler with some machine learning upscaling, but opening it up to everyone. And then they get the good PR of being, and I think it would be funny if the only thing that win with when they come out the door is their upsampling. Mm-hmm. I, it's possible that might happen because they're especially the, that long this is taking to come out well yeah and they have the resources to train it right it's like and then but they have no choice they don't have the opportunity to make it proprietary they don't have nvidia's legs to stand on and releasing graphics mm-hmm. hardware right now so they have to do an open equivalent to it and amd can benefit from that like it could be really funny if the intel super sampling is um xcss is like essentially like 90 percent identical to dlss but works on everything and then it would be mm-hmm. like Wow. Thanks, Intel. Even if they don't succeed with their graphics cards, it'd be like, everyone would be like, good job, Intel. We love you right now. Like that would be a a massive step up for them, having the best um, upscaling technology for free without any loyalties, forcing any loyalties any which way. And And so you agree, though, it seems like with Alchemist, it's just the drivers and the software stack. Like they just 
I've heard its overclocking menu actually might be really good based on like uh, similar to the Intel Extreme tuner program for their CPUs. Like they might have all of that just built into the drivers for the GPU. But in terms of like, yeah, I'm just, see, when it comes to the software for Alchemist, what I'm worried about is random stuff. Like we take for granted the little things we have. Like, oh, this is how I make a custom resolution. And like, I, like I wondered that type of thing. And also I, I like, I, I don't know if they have something like shadow player uh, relive at all. <laughs> yeah. Capturing. Well, okay. I think if you look at, XE, right? So they're obviously they're going to Alchemist, but with their like, if you look at the Steam Deck versus the whatever Ionia versus the GDP Win, you know what? Two mm-hmm. of them are Radeon. One of them is running off of Intel's integrated graphics. Or anyone who's you know bought a Surface or whatnot and tried to game on it, it's like seventy percent of the time it's good enough to game on. And then you'll come into weird issues where the game just doesn't boot or there's some weird like draw order thing happening where textures are coming in front of other things that they're not supposed to or things like that. So it's like, yeah. And it, it, it's not like indie games like mountain blade. I don't know. Actually, that's kind of a double a game now mountain blade banner Lord. Yeah. Um, but halo infinite to my understanding did not work when it came out. They had to like the, the drivers to support it came out like a month later. And I'm like, not a good sign, man. What the heck? And that's that's always been the problem with Intel's integrated graphics. And it's like their mm-hmm. their driver teams have never, it's like, you know, people come both. I will say I've had I've flip-flop between AMD and NVIDIA graphics my entire mm-hmm. life. And I've had bad drivers on both at oh, various yeah, points in time. So I'm not talking like Fermi almost Fermi made it me never want to touch NVIDIA again for it, years. Fermi 600, right? 500 and 400. 500. I had the 680, the GeForce 680, and I had the driver installed that was bricking GPUs at that point in time. And I was like, why is my I computer I think it was the 700 series. I think the 700 series is when NVIDIA really got their drivers down. There's a rough patch there, there for like is. four years. Yeah, and it's like, and I've had, you know, I, I 5700 XT was, I had that card and I didn't have mm-hmm. too many issues with it, but there was occasional black screens and things like that that I got. It wasn't that bad. But um, like, I've used integrated Intel on a laptop that I've had before, and it was by far the worst driver experience that I've had trying to run anything like that. How recent was that? Because I had a Broadwell MacBook Air that I got like open box on eBay for a great deal. And back then, that actually was like the strongest APU in that form factor. And for me, the drivers worked great with Broadwell. But I think that was like a huge focus of Broadwell. I I, I wouldn't be surprised if after that. And Broadwell would have been... Um, I don't know, 2000. It was pre Skylake, right? Yeah, and and uh, right after Haswell, so it'd probably be like 2014, yeah, yeah 2013 yeah, yeah. around. It was there. my Skylake laptop. It had a 1070 mm-hmm. on it, okay. and the 1070 died, and then it. Oh. So then it was uh, going back to integrated graphics, and I still had to use it for three months before my work sent me another laptop, and that was the most painful experience I've ever had using a computer in my life in terms of having to be in graphics engines and working on games and having to rely in, in only on Intel graphics. So. Yeah. I feel like something in their drivers fell apart after Haswell. And I don't know why. Yeah. I, Maybe the lack of competition, probably. I don't know. They've been ramping up for this for a while because it's getting more and more necessary for the server space. I don't think they have the option to avoid graphics if they want to win contracts going forward. And that's, what what's ramping this all up why you know the emphasis on hiring graphics and it's like so much is done on fp compute right that if you don't have people building large graphics processors at you you're, you're just going to not win as many contracts especially with nvidia trying to get more 
ARM focused and having a complete solution themselves, right? And AMD having Epic. Well, AMD's which, had their complete know, solution. them. Yeah. And well, Epic is, it's kind of interesting because it was like we were talking about hardware. It's like Intel, uh, Wendell from Level One Talk was talking about this, but they had the traces for the 3D vCache going back to like Rome and they haven't been mm-hmm. able they to did. implement them for this entire time. So it's like, Building. Zen 3, literally, the, the Zen 3D you're seeing, it's just literally the Zen 3 they've been making for a year and a half, and Zen 2 had prototypes that could support it. Although I believe the final silicon of Zen 2 did not support Vcash, but they have prototypes that did. That was probably yield issues or just waiting for TSMC to have everything up and running or just not having... It any... was the packaging. Yeah. This was in... Yeah, this was when, based on what I was told... They can make the Vcash fine. Obviously, they can make Zen 3 fine. The problem was when they packaged it together, they were damaging like 80% of them or something. And they got down the process without having bad yields in that stage is what I was told at the end of 2020, which in CES, they just show it off right away. Cash is super interesting because the latest implement, like the latest IPC, I'll put IPC in quotes, um, gains that we've seen have been all cash related. So it's like, Intel's 12th generation, the biggest difference between that and the 11th generation on their big cores is just having much more cash available. So it kind of turns out that like the weird thing is that now the means to speed up performance is getting rid of all of the little stalls in the pipeline, finding every little bottleneck and trying to minimize those as humanly possible. And I'm curious when we have the 5800 3D come out, how that can perform, because that's really all it's showing is bottleneck removal as mm-hmm. a means to IPC. So every time that it would have to go to main memory, it now doesn't have to. And how much does that speed up your frame rate? I don't know. I think that's, it's kind of fascinating. Like all of this, the technology, I mean, we're, I don't know what Intel's graphics implementation is going to look like. I'm very curious. You probably have much more details on it than me. I don't know whether it's going to be more like a, a 3050 or a 3080, right? Or like... Uh, for Alchemist? Yeah. Do you mean in terms of design or performance? Like theoretical performance. Oh, look, they've been targeting since late 2020. I mean, they wanted this to come out at the end of last year. It's hilarious. It's just still not out. But like, well, I mean, I had pictures since what? Mid last year. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, they wanted this to come. There's proof they wanted this out way sooner. But the target has always been 3070 Ti. Yeah. Um, you know, before the 3070 Ti was even out, they were like, we want to get as close to the 3080 as we can. Think of it as a 3070 Ti. And there's a test where it performs that well. There's a test where it performs like a 3060. I think anyone that thinks this is going to be weaker than a 3060, it, it won't. But, you know, it's how close they get to the 3070 Ti is the real question. I think my question is more like how much is, how close is it in silicon versus performance and this kind of goes into our last conversation because it's like mm-hmm. you know and i think that the steam deck playing around with that is interesting because it's like rdna2 is fascinating and it it's fascinating how it behaves in different engines specifically you know it's like playing some games and it's like wow it's like amazing this hardware is absolutely mm-hmm. fascinating and you play it in other games and you're like this is really underwhelming Right. But it's not necessarily we're going to run into that, I think, for sure, with Alchemist, because I can't say the games that they've shown behind the scenes to some people. But let's say it was a game that really stuck out as a red flag that they're like, look, we're, you know, stronger than this card here. And without saying which series it is, it's like it's not the latest edition. It's like three old, (laughs) like a game from 2014. Like so it's not this one. But let's use this as an example as Assassin's Creed. They didn't show Valhalla. They didn't even show Odyssey. 
They showed Assassin's Creed three for some reason. They have like, like some really like <laughs> yeah, really They're high like, Look, end. We beat the thirty seventy. Maybe it like uses uh, some specific shader effect that they have lots of beneficial performance, or it doesn't use any like post processing in a way that destroys frame rate. It'd be kind of funny. And and the the contact I was talking to about this, we both agreed there just has to be something in the drivers doesn't work with like this part of the new engine yet or something. Like I don't know, like like why on earth are you showing that off? And so I think we're going to see something kind of. I think this is very and surprise surprise, Raja Kadori is working on it. I think this is going to be like a Vegas situation where at launch it's going to look underwhelming in some games, like and then in other games, like I I did a comparison years ago early in my channel's life comparing the 2080 ti to the radeon 7 not because they were priced the same but i'm like these are technically their strongest cards like i wonder how close they are and there were some games like strange brigade where the radeon 7 could match a 2080 ti if you overclocked it even when they were sorry when they implemented i think was it wolfenstein 2 mm. they implemented that was a big vague that was a big game for vega fanboys oh man if you if you pulled in well they added in once it used all of its features though i'm not saying it's bad but that was a game you could point to and say look it's stronger it's almost as strong as a 1080 ti or something yeah yeah so it's kind of interesting when you so this is kind of the theoretical thing we're talking about intel xe right so it's like Mm -hmm. the question is and nvidia enjoys being the baseline so they, when people talk about them, they're never like better or worse than themselves, right? It's like you take the 3070 as the 3070 and then in individual games, all of the other cards flip-flop. So it's like when it comes to Intel XE, what is it going to be? Is it is it like the fear isn't, is it match a 3070? It's like it could technically be in hardware equivalent to a 3080 and its best case scenario and performance in PC be a 3070 and its worst case be like a 3050 in terms mm. of how it lies out. And that's where NVIDIA joys being the baseline because in some games it gets to humiliate them and other games it's like, oh, it does good in yeah. some games. And it's like... And-, and by the way, Intel struggled with that because Intel hates referencing competitors' products and slides. And why so did it Intel's- do that one slide deck presentation where it referenced Radeon, like, sorry, Ryzen on every slide? I don't... They're starting to give up on not referencing AMD, but there was a while there, if you'll remember, where like... I don't know what they're doing with their CPUs, not comparing them to Ryzen, but like they, I've heard some marketing people over there struggling with like, do we say it's 10 times stronger than Tiger Lake? Do we say it's like, it just, you're going to have to compare it to a 3070, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, like yeah. you can't compare it to Tiger Lake because that's just because your that's your strongest graphics. thing. integrated graphics. I'm going to compare it to my old integrated graphics. Yeah. It's... Although I bet we do see a slide like that for sure. We will. Yeah. One, well, then the question is what games, because this is going to be like, no engines are optimizing for mm-hmm. this at that. So whatever they're, whatever Intel is doing, they're doing it at like a, a pure hardware to their driver, to the engine. Like there's very little optimizations happening for this. So it's going to have to brute force its way to whatever position it's going to. And mm-hmm. that's a, it's a very hard place to come into this, which is why I was saying, if there's any win they could have, it might be XASS. If they come in and they give everyone essentially the keys to DLSS for free, then that's very interesting because, you know, NVIDIA and... Well, and let me say, there's a reason they're probably launching the 128 execution unit model first, because that one's closest in performance to their current integrated graphics, and they think they can fix the drivers well enough for that one before they even bother to try to scale up optimizing for their... 
again, their graphics card that's going to be 10 times stronger than anything they've launched before. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because I've heard people, I, when I had students at my previous school that they were debating, um, so this is when I was teaching texturing and animation, they were debating over like NVIDIA cards and then they're bashing Radeon. And then I showed them mm -hmm. the, it was a GDC talk where game, um, Deus Ex Mankind Divided, Mm -hmm. It's a 20 minute talk where they go through one frame. And yeah. I'm like, do you see what's going on in like 16.6 milliseconds on your screen? It's like anybody doing this, this is nuts, right? It's like the, the way that hardware has come, it's amazing. Like we had all of these players in the eighties and nineties, you know, it's like diamond Viper voodoo, like all of these companies completely mm -hmm. dropped off and aggregated to either NVIDIA or like either Radeon or GeForce. That's all we've got left from that entire, I mean, PowerVR went on to doing stuff for like integrated graphics and things like that. And other companies got bought out, but it's like, you know, this is, it's gotten to be a crazy sophisticated game that very few people can even stand with. And Intel's trying to step into this full tilt. So they have the resources too. And again, you know, they have made, they have been making graphics for a very long time. They just haven't made them this big. Uh, so I think they can do it, but it, it, what you just said, it's funny. I was on like a, a small podcast last night and I, I was asked, why aren't there more console makers? And I'm like, well, you go make one. It's hard. Oh yeah. <laughs> like we're talking about juggernauts, decades of experience in the trenches from Nintendo, then Sony, now Microsoft. Stadia just got canceled. Google couldn't just jump in and do it. It's very hard to do this well. Since we just talked about Alchemist, I want to pivot to, I don't know how closely you've been following rumors, whether it's my own or just, there's been some stuff that I think is pretty accurate from some people with a decent track record of leaking stuff on Twitter. Like, like what do you think about the way AMD is going about RDNA 3 and the way NVIDIA is going about Lovelace? So this is, I, I have been watching, your, like I typically work, I've been really entrenched in work, so I'm not as up on this as I typically am. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is where I, you're going to get some more off the cuff reactions. Like I don't have any kind of outline of what Lovelace mm -hmm. and RDNA three, like what their composition is going to be. And I'm very curious, like if you had some kind of estimate of what, how many shaders TMUs of ROPs they would have. Oh, oh yeah. It's funny. I thought I was going to do an RDNA three leak first in like April and then follow that up with a Lovelace leak, but I had a decent amount of Lovelace info and then NVIDIA got hacked oh, and yeah. I'm like, well, now I know this is all good info because it lines up Just with out. what I had. And also they just added the specs that I was missing for some of the parts. <laughs> yeah. So we basically know what Lovelace is, roughly speaking. But again, it's kind of like what we said earlier. We shouldn't just assume it works exactly the same way as Ampere. There's probably some tricks here and there in the architecture that just don't show up in drivers and that people testing or just don't know about. Because these companies, by the way, the more I'm learning of how crazy RDNA 3 is, uh, like... I, I literally think like AMD is like having some teams work on some IP blocks for like a, a part of the RDNA 3 design and making it interface with something that it's compatible with if it existed. But the thing that they're interfacing it with doesn't exist. Yeah. But it would be compatible with the real one another team's working on. So no one actually knows what the full picture looks like. Until the end. It, yeah. And I think I would imagine, you know lovely nvidia does similar things but what what we know at the very least and everything i've been told is they're going to double performance well the, the original target was more like 75 percent more rasterization and maybe doubling ray tracing but that was a 400 watt card now it looks like it'll use 500 or 600 oh watts how can anyone as someone who's owned a, a 3090 and a vega 64 it's like 
those are some beasts to contend with, right? Like mm-hmm. just dealing with overall heat dissipation on a case. You know, it's like I went through months of trying every fan configuration known, just yeah, push, pull, positive, negative air pressure, trying to see what worked best with all of these GPU configurations. And, and I'm sorry, do, do you live in Canada? I live in, yeah, Canada. Yeah, so you're not even like, it's not like you're in Florida. No, like no, you can no, deal no. with a little yeah, heat, yeah, yeah, you know? But even still, it's like, also, you know, trying to get the most out of them undervolting overclock for fun. But, you know, like playing around with GPUs and stuff like that. Look, and this is something I've been explaining over and over in a lot of recent videos I've been doing, like, because there were rumors coming out that Lovelace was going to use 850 watts. And I said, no. Maybe on no. servers. Yeah. I'm like, it won't. Okay, guys. <laughs> like, but the target was about a 75% increase with a four, fifth, 400 watt card for the 4090. And now it's universal. It's just so confirmed at this point. It's going to use is more this, than 400 watts. Are they it's on gonna Samsung be, or are they on TSMC? I think there's a chance they could actually be using TSMC's four nanometer. Oh, it's going to be. But s- at least five. TSMC is like. I think that the oddly enough, as much as it was the worst decision decision for them technically to go to Samsung with the three thousand series, it was easily the best decision for them economically because yep. all of the contention around like everyone wants TSMC fab. Everyone. Like it, as soon as anyone well, drops off. But they had to go with TSMC for Lovelace. Samsung just is too behind. Eight nanometer was barely able to keep up with seven in density certainly not clock speed and efficiency oh totally and now why would why would lovelace be so hot though if it's on tsmc right so my understanding is they were going to kind of bump it up a tier was the original plan so the 4090 was going to be a 400 to 450 watt card but from their perspective they're like they're they're about to launch a 450 watt 3090 ti kind of it's not it's up for debate if it really exists honestly like you're not gonna be able to buy it but um i I think that they then said well you know what 350 watts worked that we could keep the 3090 quiet so we can get away with another 50 watts can't we and so that's what their target was and they're just going to make the 4080 like 350 the 4070 like 280 watts i don't think anyone really care about that anyways but then my understanding is they just know rdna3 is a a monster and they're pulling out all the stops now so what's the fastest ram we because you can't change designs people think why don't they just design a bigger chip because that takes years they can't all they can do is push push clock speeds and it's pretty universal now that you should expect it to be at least 450 watts for the top card and the sentiment around rdna2 has really changed things for amd both Zen plus RDNA. It's like, mm-hmm. honestly, playing with the Steam Deck is, it's like a weird thing because it's like it needed two more die shrinks from being a perfect device. But like playing Resident Evil 8 on that is like, what? It's like, this looks nuts. And it's running mm-hmm. in a handheld in my hand. And when you see that with, you're like, RDNA 2. And by the way, the Steam Deck's APU is from 2020. It was some discarded thing that was supposed to go into a surface. Well, I know, was, but even still. That's what's so funny, too, is it could have been stronger. So it's actually, imagine if they actually launched it a year and a half ago, how impressive it would look. So it's like, okay, as, as far as I'm concerned, RDNA 2 and well, RDNA 1 brought them up to NVIDIA on IPC. RDNA 2, they're actually ahead on IPC and behind on shader count. And... Mm-hmm. RDNA 3 is open because we also can't discount AMD has more, they have more leverage than they've ever had. And Mm -hmm. they have more positive. And I'm not saying that like NVIDIA has a lot of positive press, a lot of positive interactions. And AMD has more than they have ever had though. 
Microsoft works with them closely. Sony works mm. with them closely. They develop and they like working with them. By the way, oh, they, totally. people love working with AMD. Everyone I ask, yeah, and it's like oh, the, the custom silicon they've done for both of them, right? And on top of that, buying Xilinx and what that means for the future, there's a lot of things that could be included on this roadmap. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that could be integrated. And the like, I talked to you about this last time, but I think that Infinity Fabric is the biggest innovation AMD has pulled off because it's just allowing them to to put everything together and it's a bottleneck they own. So if if it starts going bad, they can just keep ramping it up. They can keep improving that core technology and just improving the way everything interfaces with each other. And then anyways, they have like all of this and then going into RDNA 3, it's like they, I mean, they could pull from so many of the innovations that they've done with Microsoft and with Sony. And I think they are. Like my understanding for RDNA 3 is, Again, I, I I think anytime people like see me leak something, they go like, what if AMD or NVIDIA finds this out? And I'm like, guys, they know what each other are working Not on, totally. generally speaking. They have whole teams trying to figure out what each other are working on. Um, I'm just like one guy who doesn't have half of the You're abilities like or in the connections. Of that, like, there's like shady group going between NVIDIA and AMD, and you're just like yeah. watching them pass each other occasionally and getting a whisper. And it's like... Yeah, or, or it takes a very long time to, like, get a person you can actually talk to repeatedly, you know, at one of those companies. And, like, you, it's just one part of the company working on one project, too. It's not like some engineer knows everything. I mean, not even the CEO knows everything they're working on off the top totally. of their head, probably. So, I mean, but I think NVIDIA is aware, you know, it's it's just so funny. About a year ago, and, and you know, AMD, the real people you talk to that work there, not the fake you know, people like they, they are honest and they, they about RDNA 2, they said before it came out to me, like, hey, I don't think we're going to beat them at everything, but I think we're going to be pretty close to their top card. And I, I think we're going to lose ray tracing, but I think we're going to win efficiency. And I think we can be, even beat the 3080, probably not the 3090. And that's what happened a year ago. The stuff I'm hearing about RDNA 3, which I've never heard AMD engineers talk like this, they're just like, we're going to win. So, like, that's how cocky they sounded a year ago. And it's because it's an MCM GPU, to my understanding, and it might use 3D stacking. And I really think they're going for something really big here that combines a couple of nodes. And I think NVIDIA needs to push these giant dies as hard as they can because they do not want to lose the crown. Even if they can only make 10 4090 TIs that use 600 watts and no one can really buy them, they want something at the top of the chart at Tom's Hardware and Hardware Unboxed, or they're going to freak out because they just don't want to lose that mind share. Well, That's where the in, power usage comes from, I believe. Well, I think the 3090 is even coming out of that because the 3090 Ti, because Radeon just the 6900 mm -hmm. XT just took some of the Fire Strike benchmarks for the first time from crazy overclockers. So it's like. And they're about to launch the 6950 XT too. So it's like when you have. Nvidia hates that. They, mm -hmm. they really don't like seeing that kind of hardware wins. So it's like. It's very, it's very, as someone who, so the issue with going MCM obviously is like everyone gets, I had, oh man, I had two 6970s in Crossfire and before that I had two 48, what, 70s time two or whatever they were. And those were like frame latency. So uh, inconsistent frame pacing is always the fear. But I, I wonder with AMD's um, focus on- It's recognized as one GPU. Yeah, that's what I'm curious. Their work on the IO die. Right, like mm -hmm. working with Zen, having... or however they're doing it. Right, I'm pretty sure there's some sort of an I/O die, but it's still not. A, I'm just being honest; it's not abundantly clear to me, like exactly how it works. Yeah, I mean, it's like they're they've they kind of started this packaging revolution in chip design. They might not have, but like 
the first I caught onto this was Zen, right? Like having all of this and then having all of these chips kind of tethered together and like the chiplets and all of that. And it's like with the IO die, they kind of went a step further. They pulled out all their IO onto a separate die. And it's like these kind of innovations and learning where to pull things onto a separate package and then how you can do them together could possibly solve issues like that, which is where they can start doing really, really potent designs that have an NCM approach, but without the the downsides of trying to make everything, uh, the latency between them and the the timing between when everything happens perfectly in sync. Like they probably know exactly which aspects of it to pull out now to not have any of those issues. And this would be major innovations coming from, because now I know that they pulled some of their Zen team into the Radeon team and mm-hmm. vice versa to really start innovating in this front. And this is where... Um, Do you remember when that was announced? Wasn't that late last year when they announced that or something? I, I think that it was announced that... I thought it was announced more around the 5700 XT era, the end of oh, okay. it. okay. Oh, you're right. Uh, yeah. That they were pulling because they they didn't have the top end win there, and they were pulling more of the Zen design stuff into RDNA 2. Yes, they said that in RDNA 2 tech talks that a lot of the Infinity Cache came from pulling in some of the Zen design team, I think. Yeah, and I, I they have so much they can pull off the table when it comes to RDNA 3. I'm, I'm really curious. I would love, but like I said before, AMD would have to win by 50% to even be noticed mm. in a noticeable like section of the gaming public. They need uh, answers to DLSS. They need answers. They need to be better at ray tracing. They need to win or, or match. On their weakest fronts, they have to match NVIDIA. And then they need to take advantage of the aggregation of tools. The only thing I'll say about RDNA 3 latency is I think people underestimate the what they've been able to do with the latest packaging that yes latency was an issue before but especially if you just organize the architecture right even in 2d but especially in 3d you can actually have cache closer to compute units in 3d than if it was on a monolithic die you think they're going to do stacking on rdna3 we'll have to wait for the leak for that i'm not uh, let i'm going (laughs) to stop answering the questions around that but what I will say is AMD will 100% do 3D stacking within about a year and a half. So yeah, okay. it's coming. And there's a lot of, it's it's just which products. And not all of them will. You know, like, I, I, I think Navi 33 is a more traditional rendition of RDNA 3. You don't want everything to be this elaborate, crazy design. Monolithic's cheaper and sometimes just better for, depending on what you're doing with it. But I, I also agree, though, here's the thing is, I think everyone keeps hearing who actually knows people at AMD that they're really cocky, that they're going to take the performance crown and rasterization, maybe even tie ray tracing or win that too. If that happens, though, based on what I'm seeing from Lovelace, though, I don't think AMD is going to win by 50 percent. I think what you're I think what we're likely to see is NVIDIA launch some 500 watt card that loses by 15 percent, 20 percent to a. 375 400 watt amd card and so you'll have nvidia let's say 20 percent weaker using 25 percent more energy so that's a massive efficiency loss really yeah and net sum but you could see the argument where it might still just come down to software and marketing because is i, I saw someone in the youtube comments say this and i don't entirely disagree like hey look if someone has a system that can support 400 watts are they going to take a 10% haircut in performance and use 100 extra watts anyways to get NVIDIA? I think a lot of people will, unless, like you say, AMD just rushes in some aspect by 50% and has software that just hits it out hey, of the if, park. if AMD was what I dreamed them to be, 
they would pull the Tempest into everything. And if they were just schooling NVIDIA and audio across the board, right? Let's just yeah, but they have before with like the 290x's engine, didn't they? they? Did. And I don't think anyone oh, really cared. Totally right. It was called. What was no one called? cared because you can't you, you can't put that on a chart, so no it one cares. Thief used it in what? There's a specific name for that tech. I can't remember the name, but you, I think Battlefield 4 did too. Totally. There's a few games. But I'm just like I'm curious because they have to. Okay, they have to play Nvidia's game from a, a locking some aspect of it. But they can't be doing it just from a software perspective like NVIDIA does. They'd have to actually mm. do it with a hardware feature that's interesting. And they'd have to have it already exist in the consoles in a way that was utilizable to just port it across so that devs would actually do it because they're not going to do it. And this is like even... And the first thing that comes to mind for you is audio because they could do well, that. It's just because like, Tempest is there, right? That. It's yeah. like if they just put a similar uh, block one compute unit do exactly what they did in the ps5 to it it's like audio and pc is sometimes why i go with console over pc in games and that's a weird thing for me to say but mm -hmm. it's like there are games that i plug into my pc and getting the surround set up on it is a nightmare but on console yeah. it works beautifully every time and i'm a big i i really appreciate good audio and video so it's like the other thing is getting your hdr settings right in windows is another thing it's like i'm playing i was playing elden ring on both uh ps5 and on pc and despite the fact that you can get a better experience on PC, it takes much longer to get there on your TV with speakers. I'm saying like getting it to match that experience from just like mm -hmm. audio setup, getting your your colors and contrast to match and everything is is more work than than I would like in that regard. Than you want to do when you just want to sit down and well, play Elden Ring. It was a bigger difference before with the like PS4 because it's like you're going from like Oh yeah, thirty to sixty frames per second, and and then you play on PC, you're like, oh, this is, feels way better. But when you're playing a game, it's like, I've, there's some of the games on PS5. I put on the 120 hertz mode, and I'm like, what? Like, I, there's no real reason to turn on your PC in that context, right? It's like you're sitting more comfortably on the couch in a different position. You know, it's like there's advantages to all of these things, but I just I, I well, you're bringing up the consoles again, so this gives me a chance to segue into one of the final kind of blocks of questions I have here. Um, from the supporters on Patreon. Well, it's officially spring, which for me and my dog Reese means getting outside and growing some fresh food in our garden. And also, it means having to mow the lawn every week, having to take care of weeds, and just having to maintain the yard in general, which means that, yeah, during the spring and summer months, I like having a quick snack that I can make so I waste as little time as possible now that I'm spending more time taking care of my yard. But I also, of course, want it to be healthy and tasty. And, well, yeah, that's where Vite Ramen comes in. Vite Ramen is an American company that, just like me, likes using fresh ingredients to make meals tasty and healthy and it only takes a few minutes to make and they keep updating their recipe like the v3 edition of beef pho recently to keep ensuring their product is as good as it can be so make sure even if you bought them before you check back at their store and if you do click on the link in the description and use the offer code broken silicon to save 10 percent on a special bundle just for moore's law z fans that gives you 25 dollars in free goodies and it really does help support this channel tremendously seriously i eat bite ramen it's tasty it's healthy it's fresh and it's especially reasonably priced if you use the Moore's Laws Dead Deal. Try Vite Ramen today. So Kenahoon25 writes in and he says, Hey Tom and Brian, 
I noticed more PS5 Pro and Xbox Series Z. He says that's what I'm calling the Series yeah, yeah, yeah. X refresh coming out re recently, and people are having a hard time accepting that it could beat the 6900 XT. When already so so first of all, I don't know what recent leaks are coming out. What I will say is I did a leak last year where I'm 100% sure from talking to some people working on the consoles that they're at least playing with PS5 Pro designs oh, totally. and Xbox Series X designs. Like, but what I will say is there's a lot of things, guys, that get designed that get shelved or something. That's the only thing. But they're definitely playing with it. I don't know what recent leaks there are, but um, I think I said last year, too, that there's no reason they couldn't bring out something as strong as the current flagships. But he says, when RDNA 3 comes out, it looks like the 7600 XT will trade blows with the 6900 XT, according to what you've been saying recently. And so what? That's late 2022? So then by 2023 or 2024, why is it so hard to believe a 6900 XT, if it's already in a mid lower mid-range card this year, in two years, could easily be in a console and be using 100 watts less? My question is, as a guy that owns a 6900 XT that eats 300 watts plus to game at 4k you think by that time a ps5 pro or ps5 6 will come out that more people will switch to gaming consoles to save energy and money since energy prices are going up so much right now how much more performance do you really need if a ps6 can easily play games at native 4k 165 especially if only at around 100 to 150 watts well, I would use more energy than that, even if I'm like four nanometer. But if I wasn't a content creator, I would definitely only game on my PS5 to save money. Thanks, you guys, for all the work that you do. I mean, I don't, I don't know about people switching or not. I think right now it's hard to say if anyone's switching to PC or console because nothing's in stock. So how do we even know? Like everything sells out anyways, right? In my personal circle, I did have several friends that ended up picking up a console instead of a PC just because I did too. It was in I did stock too. because and they were like. And it's like, the, the, like we were saying a second ago, the quality and experience is so much closer than it has been for at least the last 15 years right now. And when we're talking about the pro model and whatnot, it's like, I don't know, I'm playing on a, like I'm, I'm messing around with the Steam Deck, playing Elden Ring at 15 watts. And it's like, this scales like, RDN, I, I'm always most impressive with engines that scale and hardware that scales. When you can make it tiny and you can make it huge and it, it does extremely well in both spaces and they definitely have that with rdna too like mm -hmm. vega scaled worse right like scaling up oh architecture. yeah vega was actually pretty great in mobile it's just once you scale it up it was a disaster so at least in gaming efficiency yeah and they were kind of locked at 40 64 ROPs, so they could never there was always one part mm -hmm. of the pipeline that was that was hammered but it's like i don't know it's like playing on this 512 shader RDNA 2, when you play like Resident Evil 8 on it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is like, feels closer to like PS5 and some games on the Steam Deck. Mm -hmm. Not all. It's an engine by engine basis, 100%. There are games that are completely underwhelming and games that are like, oh my goodness, this is remarkable. But at the same time, it's like, when it comes to the PS5 Pro, sorry, then it, this is just a matter of um, die shrinking and logistics, right? It's like, is there, yeah. is there availability at TSMC 5 nanometer? Or four nanometer, right? It's like they can or or six nanometer, because my understanding is Navi thirty three is actually a monolithic six nanometer die, and that's what they're gonna do. And so if you think about it, well, wait, yeah, if they make the seventy six hundred XT basically a, a one twenty eight bit eight gigabyte sixty nine hundred XT, if I'm Sony and I see that card, I go make it two fifty six bit, remove the infinity cache, PS five Pro. Well, they they can't do that anymore because of 
the Tempest engine because of those, whatever they do. There would have to be way more customizations yeah, than that. More... I, I massively oversimplified yeah, yeah, no, it. But, but you can see the path they take forward where they can make a $600 device that's, you know, double the performance of the PS5 in a year from now or two years but from now. But it's like, maybe. is double enough? Like from the PS4 to PS4 Pro, we went, what, 2.5? Mm. It went 1.8 to 4 point something. This, the Xbox was a much bigger jump. It was 1.2 teraflops to six, right? Mm. So it's like, the biggest win that they can do is uh, an efficiency gain in ray tracing. That's easily the biggest thing they can do to validate a pro model is give you all of that settings at higher frame rates because developers are already building those profiles in the games. They're building games with ray tracing features, but they are either doing it as a separate mode like RE Village or um, there's several games that have done it as a separate mode. Even Spider-Man, you can turn ray tracing off in almost all of these games. To be able to turn them on without sacrificing frame rate and a resolution would be huge wins. So they would need probably the efficiency of RDNA 3's shaders. They would need one die shrink and they would, at least one or two die shrinks and they would need to probably, they might have to drop, no, they can't drop clocks. That's the, this is the big thing. Is I was I was thinking about this. Before. I think they just keep clocks the same on the die shrink, and they just like double compute units or something. But they have to maintain such or high does... clocks. Like that. This is the big question with the PS5. Is... Well, that's the thing. The PS5 really isn't clocked high for RDNA two. You know, yeah. I've got the sixty five hundred XT here that runs at three gigahertz. <laughs> Like, I guess it's true. For a console, it's pretty high clocks. And even for an NVIDIA card, that would be really high clocks. But Well, NVIDIA uses Samsung the garbage NVIDIA. node, so... <laughs> garbage node. One way to word it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a path to it, for sure. I think that right now, if they released it, what like some of it's just going to be PR. Because oh, there's no way. And that's something I tried to explain yes, last year in my league, is people freaked out. People freaked out about the PS5 pro being a thing and i'm like guys it's not coming out this year yeah i yeah. said in two years from now what were you doing two years ago imagine yourself having that much more life lived and then it comes out it, i don't know if it'll feel that crazy do you think the internet shortened the leak cycle because oh for sure because yeah. like even i remember the early leaks for ps4 pro and whatnot people couldn't believe it because sony had never done it before right and you know there was the these talks about it but it was still like it was only like a year off for the PS4 Pro from when I think I heard the first leaks, but this is like, the leaks are coming mm -hmm. so early now that it's like, it does scare people about their, their current hardware. If it was the end of next year and people saw a PS5 leak, Pro leak, they would be like, whatever. I paid this off two years ago, right? Or, you know, and then they don't feel guilty about it. And then they would just, but like right now, and like there are people clamoring like crazy to get PS5s or decent graphics cards or anything. So it's like, all of these or even switches some months. Oh, yeah, I mean, nothing's months. in stock. <laughs> you know, it's like you you buy what you can, right? It's like I know gamers that are like diehard Xbox or PlayStation fans, but they were in a store when the other one was in stock and they're like, well, I guess I'm a PlayStation gamer now or I'm, you know, like. <laughs> well, they're very similar in performance, too. So I think that's an easy sacrifice to make unless, I don't know, you care about trophies or achievements yeah. or something. Or I your know, friends. But... <laughs> or your or you, or if you have friends, right? <laughs> something you don't have to worry about. Um, but I, I mean, I would say. I don't know why it's always a surprise. One of my first videos, which isn't up anymore because the, the quality was just horrible. It's like I was like hiking and talking into a phone is like my second video I made. It's, it's before I figured out what I was even doing. Yeah. But I said, I don't know why people are doubting some of these rumors about like the PS5 and Xbox Series X. I'm like, they're going to be stronger than a 2080 and they're going to have SSDs because it's not coming out this year. And, and there were entire tech channels that just laughed off some of the leaks. And I'm like, Whatever. I don't know why every generation people don't believe 
the moving target. This, that... this is your demographic, right? You're talking about you're dealing with PC centric people, mm -hmm. left, right and center. Right. And then there's there's whatever the demographic is. I'm not meaning to to call out a specific community. There's great things about all of these communities, but they're very narrow visioned on their specific thing. Their thing is the best. There's like an elitism that comes with, you know, and especially I'm sure you and me probably had more of this when we were younger, like in our teens and whatnot, because you didn't have as much resources. So you would put all your money in one camp and then you would feel you could oh, yeah. have to justify your opinion with everything around that. Right. And it's like, and to some extent, um, PCs become more, both more elitist and more, um, with streaming is it's like the alt, the only way to stream well is PC, right? And everyone watches streamers. So there's this extra component about being part of this community on top of that, where console gamers are a little alienated, right? Unless you're part of like the smash community or something, but yeah, but I don't understand why they alienate each other. And this is something I've talked to agnosium with certain get with a lot of guests is, you know, I don't understand why if you listen to a, podcast that's more console focused they seem entirely inept when it comes to the hardware and if you listen to a pc thing they just they they, they just they focus on the pc so much they don't even really know what the specs of the consoles are they're dissing yeah i i don't know i i exist kind of in all of these spaces and i like for me mm -hmm. when i joke with my friends i'm like oh which rectangle do you want me on it's like, it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> yeah. It's just like a square that plays games and there's good games on everything. So there's means to justify wherever you're playing. It's like, I've, I probably, I mean, I have three kids, so I probably logged in more switch hours than virtually any other device just due to, you know, first of all, uh, age appropriateness of content. Second of all, like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Like I still love Zelda and Mario. Nothing's really changed in that regard. Right. It's like good games exist on all of these platforms and there's reasons to turn all of them on, but it's like, the hardware aspect of it is like, I guess, just for more the the hyper fascinated, the people that really want to know how these things work. It's like, I don't know. I don't know how the Switch pulled off everything it did with 256 shaders, but it's like, and it even still, it's... It sold a lot of units. Some people figured it out. <laughs> so Falto writes in, says, hello, with the release of the Steam Deck and it becoming very, and if it becomes very successful, do you think it could hold gaming back? Like we always talk about PS4, Xbox One being the lowest common denominator. What about the Steam Deck? I could see where now games have to at least run on a Steam Deck's level of performance too. It, whereas if it didn't exist, maybe we'd push it farther. I don't think Steam Deck's going to be remotely close to the sales to be a lowest common denominator personally. Yeah, I mean... the it, I guess it depends on how many years because gamers are used to updating. If anyone can mm -hmm. survive a two-year life cycle, it would be the Steam Deck. Steam might feel the need to replace it more often with another mm -hmm. piece of hardware called the same thing that becomes the newest long, long common denominator. And I can tell you from playing with the Steam Deck that it's probably going to be fine for the next two years. Um, mm -hmm. And this is like with engines being unfair to it, with it having a translation layer, with it, it's like, it's a remarkably impressive device for what it's currently doing. It's a little wider. It's a little louder than I would have liked. You know, it's like, I, I'm curious. I think multi-platform is holding games back. And I think that, mm. that Sony and Microsoft going multi-platform is, is like, I don't think Halo, I've enjoyed a lot of Halo Infinite, but I don't think it looks like it should have looked. And I think if they had just targeted... Well, I think the Xbox One for sure held that one back. Xbox One, PC, all of that. Like It's like the, the split in development definitely holds hardware back. When uh, 
when it comes to like taking advantage of hardware, this is kind of, I mean, you talked about this last time, but it's like, I kind of fear Sony going more the multi-platform approach because kind of the most beautiful and really interesting games that I remember historically are the ones that found that nook of art direction that did weird things like particles and Silent Hill two or Metal Gear Solid two, or, you know, uh, deferred rendering in Killzone and last of us mm-hmm. and uncharted and like, uh, God of Wars, GPU accelerated particles, and like all of these things in these games, they really made things special. It's like when developers find their art direction and they push it to the corners of whatever a device is capable of is usually where I I find. And I'm not saying that other general purpose games don't have good art direction. I'm saying that like the leading charge in art direction, as far as I've been aware of most of my life, was always finding the nooks and crannies of hardware the interesting features the way it does things even going back to like weird like mode 7 effects on super nintendo or like blending you know pixels it's like those weird nooks in hardware have always made really interesting choices in art direction and developers working within constraints because it's like the less constrained developers get the more that they aren't doing interesting things but when they have like a really narrow fixation on a really strong aspect of hardware there's a really cool mm. marrying that happens in that space where you can do amazing things right and it's like and then modern hardware doesn't even do it properly it's like Silent Hill 2's fog is still messing up emulators and stuff to this day right like same with <laughs> you know like there's there's weird things that that are beautiful like the beautiful little nooks of game development where you get like gems like i'm worried we're going to lose that space with this multi multi platform approach i mean i think when you look at you have to like take it on a case by case scenario like when it comes to the sony ones i think it's pretty clear that unless it's a third party or second party thing where they paid for you know for spoken to come to ps5 and don't focus on xbox yet like that type of thing i think yeah everything you say applies but i think like with horizon or god of war coming to PC, it's like, well, I think they designed it for the PlayStation for for God of War and didn't worry about PC at all. Yeah. And then I then they brought it to PC. I don't think you really lose no, you, any of that. And I think it depends on how the game was made multi-platform. Totally. And you know, you always get that like years down the line. I would say that the weirdest thing about the Steam Deck is it's the shortest gap that I've ever seen for a handheld version of games. Like literally playing Elden Ring on television mm. and playing it portable it's like i'm used to five to six years on that gap you know like going yeah. from link to the past i see yeah Nintendo i see what you mean like you get like a netbook and you're like oh i can play you know i can finally play battlefield 3 on this maybe not five but i can play yeah. three or something yeah I, I i don't know i i also don't i just think that devs look at the market share too and if i don't know what it's at right i think ps 5s at like 16 million xbox is at like 9 million 10 million i don't know yeah. somewhere around there you know, so they're going to look at that and go, that's 26 million. So, or maybe almost 30 now, who knows? And they go, yeah, we're going to design our game for those. We're not going to worry about the 1 million Steam decks that are out there, but we're going to optimize it later to work on it. It's just not the thing we're optimizing first when we're building the game. We'll figure it out later if we can make it work on there. That, that Because I, I really think people... Sony can't get enough capacity to make PS5s. They're a, I don't know what, I think they're $200, $250 billion company, somewhere around there. Valve's a $2 billion company. I don't think they bought a lot of capacity for the Steam Deck. That's the thing I'd warn people. Mindshare, right? It's like there's a mindshare between, like Sony's got a really interesting, because they feel, I feel like they have, they're having like an NVIDIA moment. They Mm. 
They have mm. the mind share. People respect Sony. They respect PlayStation. They like there is a, a vision of how their games are perceived that's very I don't know high end or something like that. And they're trying to pull everyone into that. They're trying to pull through media, getting more into movies, getting to more into TV shows, mm-hmm. getting like how can we already have the reputation? How do we force everyone into our ecosystem? Valve yeah. has mindshare because they they obviously they've been i mean they're yeah they're ubiquitous with pc gaming they're, well yeah. they owned pc gaming and they didn't even have anything close to a competitor until the epic game store started giving a free game away every week and like <laughs> that's the only thing that's contended with them and having fortnite be one of the big yeah games. i mean it's funny when you look at things like origin and you play and how they're like well if you want battlefield three you're gonna have to use origin or something and then eventually they're like and eh, never mind you can buy battlefield 2042 through steam we don't care anymore well a lot of even microsoft did that right and that's a, yep and they they probably wouldn't have had to if they had game pass at that point in time that's a different kind of train of thought because game Pass is also like all of my xbox friends that have been playing xboxes for years have all bought medium to high-end pcs and continued mm. being xbox gamers they just moved to their Game Pass account. It's like that's Xbox opened up the doors for that. And a lot of them, a lot of my friends that were pretty deep in the Xbox ecosystem, they abandoned the Xbox ship without abandoning Xbox. And mm-hmm. that's it's interesting that Microsoft set a path for them for that. But like, well, they kind of had to because they kind of alienated a lot of people, I think. This is my opinion with Xbox One. And the logical conclusion then is to take those people that left Xbox One, monetize them on PC and Xbox, because that's what you have to do. You, you know, they lost their mind share because the only thing that Xbox always had going for it was that it had the highest end console hardware every generation. And they lost that mind share with the one. And that was a hard thing for Xbox gamers, I think, more than anything, because. It was like they they were just used to that. Well, and they were used to, I think, having a lot of like exclusives. Like there was that year where they bought Mass Effect, Bioshock. What I mean, I think there was a third one that was only on Xbox. They paid for those third party exclusives and then something happened where all of a sudden they didn't. It's true. (laughs) You know, and then they didn't have any games to talk exclusively about. Right. And it's like then we have kind of this weird world where the vast majority of games have gone completely open. There's like 10 to 20% of games that are closed in ecosystems. And then Nintendo just does whatever the heck it wants to do. And, you know, and that's, that's fine because Nintendo is usually cheap enough that you can have whatever you want and buy Nintendo as well. But I don't know, like, I don't think that if we're getting to the low end part of the conversation, I don't think the steam deck's going to hold anyone back for two years. It would hold them back past that point. But I'm just trying mm. to answer that previous question. If they force themselves to only, that it has to run well on Steam Deck. Well, but I think the expectations are different, too. It's like, I can run at 30 frames, though, on Steam Deck, and people accept it sometimes. Well, and the other thing with Steam Deck is that we haven't seen any native ports, right? It's like everything's through the Proton layer. It's like, at some point in time, developers could target more, and then they wouldn't be losing the somewhere between 20 and 40% of performance that they're losing by mm-hmm. by just doing it through all of these secondary layers, Proton and you know, Steam OS, if you had a native port, you wouldn't lose as much hardware. So there's still potential there. Like it's it's not weak hardware per se, especially at the resolution it's running at. So I'm curious. Well, let me ask you this. Alexander writes and he says, hi, Brian. I'm curious if your team is talking about or planning to optimize for the Steam Deck at all. Um, I don't know if I can answer that. 
I, oh, okay. NDA based stuff. Like, I don't want to speak in behalf of anything that get me in trouble. I like, okay, let me answer it generally instead of any way that could affect NDA in this kind of framework. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing developers are concerned about in regards to Steam is whether they're going to be put on the front page. Because that difference between whether your game gets listed on the front cover, because you have mm. no choice. That's Oh, you're right. That is a huge pull they could have, though, to start pushing that. That's the only thing that game devs like are because if you release a game on Steam and Steam never cycles it to the front image, you're going to mm. get virtually no sales. Fortunately, both Star Renegades and Halcyon 6, Steam put it in its front run for the week that it came out. So it was one of the cycling images, which is the primary reasons that they sold as well as they did. I've heard similar things about the PlayStation Store. Like uh, indie developers get pissed that they release a game and for some reason they were like not on the front page and some much cheaper game was. And if they don't get on the front page for the first week, it kind of kills them for a while. Whether you're in a Nintendo Direct, whether Nintendo puts you yeah. in their... Um, you know, these are the the areas that, that indie developers have very little power and it's the biggest concerns. So if you were saying if Steam went to a bunch of games that looked like they were going to be good or a bunch of developers that have a track record of releasing even mediocre to good games and said, hey, we can promise you front page window this time of your launch unless you shift massively delayed on it, then in you if you could work on maybe doing a steam deck port and we can guarantee front on the steam deck devs would be interested in that but it has to be incentivized for them right they need to have the the trust to actually to do that because they don't want to put in the extra okay like i think we touched on this no i didn't touch on with you i touched it with but no i want to be very clear that you are changing my mind a little bit because i i just disregard the steam deck when it comes to lowest common denominators i don't think people are going to worry about it i think they're going to worry about the 80 million desktops and you know, 100 million PlayStations and Xboxes people game on before they worry about 2 million Steam Decks. But you're right. Some studios may use it as the lowest common denominator. They know it runs perfectly and they can get on the front page of Steam because that'll help all of their sales. It will. And that's that's where Steam has the mindshare. If Steam's going to offer that, I don't know if they have. And I don't know whether they feel it's ethical to do so. That's something that is mm. it's another question entirely. But if you're talking purely financial means on it, that's where my mind goes, it's like, that's where devs are scared and are devs willing to take a risk to implement for, okay, I can tell you from the forefront as a developer, talking to a lot of developers who have done Linux ports, that it was some of the worst experiences they had in stretching their resources and getting very little payback, right? Whether or not Mm -hmm. they were great ports or not, I don't want to get into that specific nature of it. But there was a lot of cry for it. But when they released it, it didn't end up amounting to enough to have made it, at least in their minds, worth their time, right? And I don't think the Steam Deck is is that kind of picture. I think that there's the risk of it being that kind of picture, just like a complete afterthought, which is why Valve has gone Mm -hmm. to such an extreme length from the beginning to make the... Like basically, Valve's been treating this as we're just going nuts on Proton, trying to make this as little bit. Of- well, I think that's why it's worth their time, right? Even if they only sell five million total over a few years, and I think that would be considered a huge success, by the way, for the budget of this project. But it's allowing them to make Linux. This is a Trojan horse to make Linux good at gaming. Well, this is the that's the surprising thing. Is it's like I don't know. I talked to I've talked before about Linux specifically, and the biggest issue I think Linux has had is that artists haven't been pulled into the ecosystem to make any of the processes make sense because mm. like, I don't know. I work with tools built by the developers all the time. 
And it's not typically until, and it's not that they aren't genius tools, but it's not until artists and other people play around with them and see all of the ways that they're just not intuitive from a person interacting on the outside perspective that these things get fixed, which has kind of been the, the black hole of Linux for too long, right? Like you go in and then there's all of these weird things and you're like, oh, what do I have to do? I have to go in and change this and this file. I have to do this. It's like that kind of stuff is beyond most users. You need like, you need to have pulled artists and other people into the ecosystem to start creating more streamlined, easy interfaces for these things to solve some of these problems. And SteamOS is solving some of those to some extent. It's actually amazing how much worse the experience is if you transition a Steam Deck to Windows versus just running it with SteamOS. Mm-hmm. But what you what you're losing right now is game compatibility, although almost everything I've played has run okay. But it, I guess it, it really depends. Like some games won't, right? So it's like you're relying on this. I've heard that's a rapidly improving situation oh, too. Yeah. Like the pre-release, they had way more games have issues and they're trying to make... Now that hundreds of thousands of people have a Steam Deck, they have the input to check everything at once and patch it. Um, well, actually... Right, so Brett Summers writes in. He says, "Hey, Tom and Brian. Brian, congrats on your promotion. Oh. Your episode with Tom inspired me to take courses for game design and computer science. A passion in my life since I could remember. Just never acted on it. So thank you. But anyways, my question is this: from an art direction perspective, do you make assets any differently with FSR, DLSS, or maybe in the future XE Super Sampling in mind? At the end result, may vary from what was originally intended, or is it something you just make the asset and if an upscaling technique is used, you just let it do what it's got to do and." whatever artifacts appear, whatever. Bonus question, if you can answer this, do these upscaling techniques have an effect on a studio when they're in a planning stage for what might end up as a recommended system spec? Example, ARCs 5700 might not give a stable 1440p60 without the aid of upscaling, but then do you recommend it for 1440p now that you know that FSR is a thing? Okay, so there's like three questions there. I'll try to pick out each individual one. So in regards to arc direction on assets, it doesn't affect the... uh, it, there's no chance from my perspective that it would affect the individual asset generation where mm-hmm. the part in the pipeline that the like I engage in regularly is like, I would say the beautification process. So there's the point where you're putting everything together in a scene, you're adjusting all of your post-processing, your color grading, your ambient occlusion, your uh, shadows, how all of those things play out and how it marries together in a screen and comes together on an image. At that point in time is where these factors might come into play. You might be playing around with those and be like, how does this look after the scaling is concluded versus you're not going to do it when you're making a a 3D mesh and doing your your textures and normals and uh, like your entire PBR pipeline or when you're it's all of that is going to be 100% in the the end of an image setup when you're it's it's going to affect post-processing more than anything. I would say that there'll be the big risk is having to adjust post-processing settings. So... Mm -hmm. That's where I would imagine me doing it. I haven't had the chance personally. I These conversations go on in my head. And I, I now that I have this rendering tech that I talk to regularly, I do poke them about this. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is about your, your other question. I'm just trying to remember exactly how it was worded. But... Um, well, I guess the other part of it is, you know, do you look at DLSS and go, oh, well, now we know because of DLSS and FSR that a... Lowers the spec for minimum specifications. Yeah, 2060 is performing like a whatever. And so now we can target this level of assets. Um, I think that like part of it goes to something I said in our last talk, where it's like you make games and then you always kind of overshoot. 
and you hope that either new hardware or new innovations and in technology compensate for some of your overshooting. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of where that comes into play. I mean, it's great that a wider, especially with higher graphics features, because a lot of devs are worried about their low settings in games, mm-hmm. and they might be a little bit more aggressive knowing that these FSR and DLSS exist with their low settings. They might up them. But here's the thing, right? It, the problem is those low settings are usually built for people running, I mean, honestly, half the time still GTX 560s. And, you know, I know, I've, I've, you know like, uh, I don't know, like, what's another one? I mean, a, a lot of 480s and 580s. And FSR isn't, you know, I guess you could put that in your game and say that works on Polaris. And that may, actually, it, it would work on a GTX 560 as wouldn't. well. But DLSS only works on the latest stuff anyways. And I think there is a worry that the low settings are meant for things that might not even run. I mean, RSR just came out too, yeah. you know, like. I think that you're, you're finding that people are forgiving. If they have the hardware, the features, they're a little bit more forgiving if the settings are murdering their computer because they have a path to having the graphic settings that they want. And there's good things that happen there. And like I was saying, it's going to affect specific spec levels so it's more likely that you might push the low or the medium up a little bit especially if you're implementing fsr and you know everyone can do it and it's a feature there in your game right then you might be a little bit i I wouldn't say you're going to make your assets way better but you might push them up 10 or 20 percent knowing that if worst case scenario you could someone complains in your discord server or on the steam thing your comment could be if you turn on fsr and set it to this setting you can get around that right it's like you have a path to kind of alleviate the situation because a lot of times devs are forced to react to individual gamers in those situations Mm -hmm. and they want to like most well-meaning devs have they want to help the gamer they want to have the ability to and tech like that does kind of open a path to be like hey if you try this maybe it'd be a bit better for you you get a better frame rate out of it so i think it does alleviate some of that but i i wouldn't say it's affected things until I think we talked about this last time, but it's like, I think most devs are hoping everyone gets up to a 3060, 6700 XT. If everyone yeah. moved to their hardware, if we just deleted all hardware before that point in time, game devs would be so happy. They'd just be like... Oh my, yeah, oh my God, it makes such a difference like in what you could do. 2060, 2070, if, if somewhere, like every... I had a dev at Ubisoft tell me that. He just wishes the base, the, the minimum was a 2060. It, That's what he said. If you just deleted every GPU before that, it was like devs would be so freed up. They'd be like, oh, we know what hardware features are available. We know you're not running on some weird integrated computer. PCs are so strange because you can you can kind of jerry-rig them, right? Like in mm-hmm. so many ways. You can have like an ancient CPU and a high-end GPU and you can have a, the, the inverse. You can have an ancient GPU and a high-end CPU and you're like, well, I can run... That's the worst, a high-end CPU and a low-end GPU, because you're gonna be like, I can run all of my processing software fine. <laughs> I can run three, I can run this game at 400 frames, 360p. Yeah, exactly. It's like there's a there's really weird things like that that happen. And I mean, devs are really sensitive. I, I think that most devs are in are in a positive way sensitive to the bad feedback. So what they're always trying to do is when it comes to low specs, they want it to include as many gamers as possible. And I don't think that we're gonna get the results we want until everyone Get, if they give us that world, if they give us a world where the, you know, 20, 60, 30, 60 was the minimum spec, game devs would be a whole lot more less anxious about their projects. But, but you know, this kind of leads into a couple questions here. I, I think it would be a good way to wind this down. 
Uh, Matthew Landavazo writes, and he says, Hi, Brian. And your experience as an art director and being responsible for the final look of a game, do you think PC gamers maybe have too many choices in upscaling techniques and other visual features? To be more specific, it must be hard for a less informed PC gamer to know all of what's available to them and the visual trade-offs of each and ultimately land on optimal settings. Do you think consoles have an advantage in presenting the game as exactly you envisioned it? And do you think PC developers would benefit from a less is more visual settings menu? Yeah, and there's also so like really depends on the size of the devs like i'm sure it's not a problem with like red dead redemption 2 small devs mm-hmm. don't even have the ability to test all their high-end settings they might just like they might make the game for medium or something like that and then their high-end like whatever let's say it's their volumetric lighting they'll just change to like a half um half res volumetric lighting setting to like full full res or yeah, like super sampling res. and stuff and they'll just do that and then they'll they'll let pc gamers deal with that but then it's like it might not even be perceivable it's like uh, a good example of that is the neotomata port to pc used really high-end um volumetric lights that were imperceivable and when people made modifications to it and just dropped them down it looked identical but everyone's performance was so much better on their pcs so it's like there's there's weird use cases where um, specifically when it comes to art direction, I'm just trying to remember the exact nature of the question. It's like, I, I personally find it easier to game on PC because I have two sides to myself. I'm a tinkerer and I'm a, mm-hmm. like, I'm more likely to just take a game at face value and go through it on console. If I play a game on PC, I'm going into menus all the time and tweaking settings and seeing what they do. Mm-hmm. It like engages a completely different part of me. Well, yeah, because we find it fun. I wouldn't want to remove that. I guess he's just saying, I guess it, 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 like in a, in a console game, well, actually, here's an interesting way to point out an aspect of this conversation, like the problem of multiplayer games and like trying to make it so you can have more particles and foliage, but that up obfuscates if you can snipe someone in the distance sometimes. Oh, yeah. And I think that's always a major issue of like the disparity. And you don't even know, did they download some like, you know, what is it like Minecraft looking text or Mario 64 looking texture pack? So everything sticks out. So I, like that's a, I, that's a major worry. I think if you're a PC developer, I have kind of like a funny story on that. Cause it's like, as an art director, I cringe like crazy at some of those changes, but my brother was mm-hmm. growing up ludicrously good at video games or he won one of the Toronto based mm-hmm. Unreal tournament tournaments. He has a medal from winning it. He was a crazy quake player. He is a funny story. Cause he was, he won one of the red alert tournaments, but he had gotten banned as his regular username. So Westwood came to the door with a, like a high-end video card or sound card at the time. But my sister won it because he had to register his name, her name, because he got banned as oh. himself. <laughs> and there's just like funny things like that. But he did really funny modifications to games. So I remember Quake 3, he had all the textures off. It looked mm-hmm. crazy. In Quake 2, he modded all of the sound effects. He took all of the wave files and replaced them with his own voice saying exactly where they were. So when you came out of the water in the level, it would say out of water. And when you picked up the railgun, it'd be like railgun instead of like just making a little thing. Yeah, the, the pickup sound effect of that gun is just he picked up the railgun. So now I know he's over so there. He could own you, the could, maps. you could even do. Yeah, you could do effects where the different audio files for them walking in a distance could be 20 feet away, 20 feet away, 20 feet away. Like I could see you making that file. That's hilarious. Yeah. So it's like and then I grew up from a completely like. So anyways, that I, I saw that in the house and that always drove me crazy because I do the opposite. I push the games that I played mm-hmm. to like the lowest frame rate possible just to see everything that is. And that's the artist in me that I was trying to see what the intention yeah. was behind this project. But I completely 
understand the nature of why someone would downgrade the settings for an advantage. And I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about, I mean, latency is huge for just being able to react in time. So it's like, there's an incentive to turning down graphics in virtually all of these games. And this is where different teams at game studios, because I think it's important to not think of games as monoliths, right? It's like different teams doing everything. It's like the design team is typically really intent on what it feels like to play, right? The dev team is trying to make all the tools and stuff in place for it to work properly or how things are implemented. And the art team is trying to make sure that that the onlookers, even if you ruin your game, are walking by and seeing your game presented in a very specific light and that you can feel proud of it, that you're not going to have, you know, like there's, there's different people with different intentions in all of these aspects of a game. And, and I think it's important to actually to think about that because, you know, if it was up to me, it was like, I don't think I would want people doing what my brother did to these games, right? You yeah. know, and it's like, but I understand it because at least I, I, you know, saw it growing up i can see why someone would have a competitive advantage by modifying games for these kind of things and that ins- i'm gonna i'm gonna tell my brother and a few people about that because i just that is hilarious i've never thought of doing that but it's like why could you not you could just like the sound effect of the feet being 20 feet away <laughs> could just tell could tell you where yeah, he is totally. so it's like those are you know like those are funny things and that was before aimbots and all of those other things right so it was like they couldn't hack the game in other ways but you had to have the skill but anyways seeing uh, there's five funny stories I could say just about that, but it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. When it comes to art direction, it's like I care most about what a game looks like. That's what I care about. When I'm making a game, I'm going in, I'm adjusting ambient occlusion like crazy, tweaking it, loading it. When I put it out there, it's like then the worst thing is that I have to work with different monitor ranges because sometimes I'll do something that looks really good on a color correct oh. monitor, and then one of my coworkers will have like a crazy. I have to deal with that too. They'll have yeah. a crazy saturated monitor, and they'll look crazy on theirs, and then they have to try to neutralize to find the middle ground between the average range of devices and what my intent was yeah i have three different monitors when i'm editing a video like i've moved like the file around while i'm editing and i'm like that's not the shade of green i want it to look like on someone's monitor you know the odd thing too is if you have different monitors that require different color profiles even if you screen capture the picture on that monitor Mm -hmm. with that color profile and you pull it into different monitors it will represent differently even it, it like it's so weird. And then it, whether if you just dragged it into the other monitor and captured a picture of it, just like Windows Shift S and whatever, and drag it onto another screen, it'll look different depending on which monitor you capture it on. And it's like little things like that are so impossible to track from. Uh, and it's like you have to you're trying to do this kind of. You might have a robust vision, but you have to neutralize it as much as you can to deal with a wide range of everything from hardware to like graphics or sorry monitors and all of these different these aspects of game development all right well we've been talking for over two hours here um as usual i thought we would talk for a very long time i've gone through i think most of the important points i think we organically went through just about every subject i wanted to touch on and i know that our audio engineer has to get honestly yeah, yeah. editing this pretty soon. But uh, is there any final things you wanted to discuss or say? Because I know you, you know, you are a thoughtful person. It's obvious you put thought into this before you come on. Like, is there anything we missed that you just want to add quick? No. And you can say no. Well, I, I mean, I, I do want to say a couple of things before we wrap up. I, I really appreciate this podcast. I apologize if I offended any individual person. I did not intend to offend any group or whatnot. Um, I love talking like this. I think one thing that I wanted to say is, hey, AMD tech, NVIDIA tech, Intel tech, if you want to reach out to me, 
send me a message. If you want me to make a silly gift for you on Twitter, I might do that too. You know, it's like, these are fun things. I love interacting with you. I feel like there's, there's too much in this space, in game development and art direction and PC space, there, everyone's interacting with the same things and we're not talking enough. There's like, everything is an island of communication. And then there's, it's, it's like we're missing all of the interlinking between the island of communication. And I, like, my goal is kind of what I've really loved about your podcast doing this. It's like Broken Silicon is one of my favorite things mm-hmm. about what you do. Just seeing this, seeing conversations like this, seeing uh, level one tech move in that direction. See these things. Like, I've, I'm appreciating this. I'm, I'm in this weird stance where it's like, I would love to do more of these conversations and do this myself, but I care about art too much and I don't have time to edit anything. So it's like, I'm in this weird thing where it's like, (laughs) for me, it's like, am I going to edit a video or am I going to draw something? And I'm much more likely Mm -hmm. to draw something. So it's like, if anyone wants to talk to me, I'm happy. Oh yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of work. I, when people ask me, have you considered starting another podcast? It's like, I had a couple other ones. I just canceled them. It's like, yeah, I'd be a co-host, but I can't manage another. It's just, it's way too much work, but I mean, what I will say is, I mean, you've been on twice. We are certainly happy to have you on all the time because you're one of the rare people that I think interfaces with everything that we talk about. You actually play games. You don't just benchmark them. You actually know how the games are made and you actually know a lot about the hardware that goes, that makes them and in multiple, in a multidimensional way, not just like, I'm just worried about frame latency and this code I'm writing like, you know, that's all some people I talk to, like Sony or something or like uh, Obsidian or something like he doesn't actually care that much about the hardware. He just knows what the hardware he has. He's got to get it to you offer more frames in that one scene. Yeah. But you seem to interface with all of it. And so it's usually, I think, very illuminating every time you come on. So you're certainly going to be invited on yeah, again yeah. if you want to come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, for me, it's like I think it's that I, I interoperate between teams. Right. I have to talk to tech dev teams. I got And I like. I'm not amazing. I'm not going to say that I'm like an amazing whatever, but I feel like if I have a superpower in terms of like how I interact with my friends and stuff, it's that I've been able to communicate tech in a way that a lot of people who are deep into tech just can't. And it goes mm-hmm. over their head. And I don't like, and that's just my personal group of friends. Maybe it's not true online or whatnot, but it's like almost all of my, my friends that care that they were buying a TV, if they're buying a computer, like they want to hear my insight. They want to understand they're like, what's going on with these new consoles. It's like around when new consoles are coming, I'll get like 10 phone calls. Like, Hey, uh, yeah. what's going on? Is with the this? PS5 uh, 10 times stronger because of its SSD? And you, and of course you say, yes, of course. It yeah. Is I'll now. be like, well, it is on this. This is what this opens up in games. Here's a video example that shows exactly, you know, it's like streamlining these kind of conversations. So it's like, um, Maybe I'll talk to my render tech and maybe we can, me and him and you can do a podcast at some point in time, but it's, uh, that could be kind of interesting. There's more specific oh, examples. Oh, for sure. I'd love to, he's certainly invited on. I'm trying and, and it's, and he's specifically invited on too, because it's like, I don't know why more people don't talk to the people actually making the game. Yeah. It's just all marketing people or the guy who wrote the story, which those, you know, I get why the marketing guys everywhere and I get why people want to talk to, I don't know, Neil Druckmann or something, you know, I think I get it, but if, let, if you get too big of a team though, then there's fear, right? Is like, you don't want to be, you don't want to say anything that looks bad to your team. And I want to say my game studio that I work for is amazing and I love them. So I don't want to say anything bad about them, but it's like, you know, you don't want to, that's the risk, right? It's probably why it's hard to get some people on. And I can see why there'd be a hesitancy, especially oh, with yeah. sensitivity. That is their worry if whether it's an Xbox or a PlayStation dev, they're like very much so 
It's not even about they're worried about an NDA. They just don't want to do anything that could accidentally affect the work of other people. Totally. And it's, you like, know, that's, that's what it's a, it's a non-selfish thing. Yeah. And yeah, I think that like, I just love games. Games are amazing things. And they're, you know, it's like being so deep in game development has demystified them to some extent, you know, like watching, knowing exactly, you know, everyone sees shadow cascades, right. In games where it's like, oh, this is where your shadows get worse. But knowing at which points and which distances, everything just goes to complete nothingness. You know, it's like <laughs> it does it does change how you perceive games to some extent. Right. It's like the more you play around behind the scenes, knowing that, hey, at this point, shadows even disappear. It's like you want to complain about shadow cascades. They're not even existing when they're that far away. Oh, yeah. And like talking to a lot of developers and people who actually program these, like recently we were playing Elden Ring. And for some reason... We moved a lever in a dungeon playing co-op with my brother. Then I think my brother got, one of us got lagged out or he had to reset it. And then when we came back, the lever was moved on the co-op people's screens, but not on my brother's screen. Uh. So then we're like, we didn't know what to do. So we're like, well, I hope this isn't screwed. But I'm like, why would that save it in the instance? And then we restarted the PS5. And then it was reset. And I'm like, oh, so there must be something in the cache that's stored that we moved the lever, but didn't show up on your screen. You had to reset the entire dungeon for it to I move. can give you a little bit of context on that specifically. So okay. uh, Star Renegades had a, it was like a roguelike saving system. So it was trying to always save. And when we, like, when we were going through Nintendo screaming, they, their um, screening process yeah. for the game, they told us off for saving too often. And they made us, because all of the rights, they're like, you're writing way too much. So, you know, you have to reduce the amount of rights. So we had to change how often it's saved just to make sure. Mm. So it's like things like that happen. And sometimes it might not even be from soft. It could be whatever, like they face this and then it might be something they did on, on PS5 and then they port that over. To but PC. not on another one. You know, yeah. it's like, it could be something like that because they, they're just forced. Oh, we can only save this much. We don't want too many rights in this way. We don't want, you know, it's like, there's all of these. Approval or like it saves to the host world constantly or at a different rate that it's saving to things the, that happen to the co-op world and not yeah if you're wondering why halo infinite's uh co-op campaign mode isn't out yet that, that would probably be why right like oh really because well, that is, is something i worried about this is a guess that that, I, that's something i wondered i should say you know like it doesn't make like because the co-op's in the menu. It's hilarious. It's just like number of players in room when you're starting single player. I'm like, well, one, you don't have co-op. And it's like, clearly they built it for co-op. And, it's, and they just walled it off in the menu. Well, barely. They, they might have faced some like really egregious bugs or edge case scenarios, right? Like there's lots of times that that ends up happening where it's like you go to the testing phase and you're like, ooh, yeah. Even if it works well 80% of the time and then 20% of the time it screws over gamers dramatically, that's a dangerous place to be in for shipping your game, right? So it's mm -hmm. like, you got to be very careful. Uh, and what's like, even look at Elden Ring. It's like critically acclaimed like crazy, but due to its technical issues on PC, it has like a huge array of negative reviews. Mm -hmm. And it's not due to the quality of the game. It's like just purely technical issues. So it's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of sensitivity in the game development space around these kind of things because, and to some extent, like Microsoft was probably laying the cards and they're like, well, we release a campaign that works and is functional and we release oh, yeah. multiplayer and it's functional. It's like, you got to watch all of this stuff with game development because it's like, it's, it's so hard, right? And synchronizing between like multiplayer and there's, I'll tell you, like there's a lot of different 
middleware solutions developers can pull in for synchronizing between players. They all have drawbacks. They have player limits. You can see that like if you ever get into game development, you'd be like, oh, if you're whatever a Unity developer and you're assessing Proton versus there's there's several and you can test them. You test latency. You can be like, oh, how many enemies can I have on screen? Because they can mm -hmm. limit how many enemies you have on screen. It's like, oh, is it tracking everyone? Is, is one character going out of sync? Right. It's like all of this kind of stuff happens and you're like, I, I don't know. It's like co-op multiplayer is not the easiest thing to manage a lot of the time. So honestly, what you're making me realize again, though, is it'll be easy to find subjects to, <laughs> to bring you on for because I didn't even intend. But you can actually answer some of these questions. You can go, no, I think I knew I know what happened. Yeah. You yeah. know, well, it's like you just assess it, right? You look at it, you look at your experience and then you kind of guess like it's it's kind of interesting because it's like i'm having this kind of conversation with you and it's like i could go just as deep into art or other things and it's like mm -hmm. you know and that's you know all my different wheelhouses but i love i love these kind of conversations which is why i'm very thankful you had me on again and you know oh yeah and then let's do this plug your studio or like do you have any plugs you should oh, plug yeah. i mean your, your your linkedin or your twitter will be in the description if people want to reach out to you but like i assume you want to promote the games you work yeah, on. yeah yeah totally if you feel like it you just go on steam um like if you go to massive damage games on steam they have uh halcyon 6 and star renegades which are we're working on something new that's really special i feel but i can't talk about that at all that's all under nda um and it's completely uh, using kind of more modern tech and everything. So um, anyways, that's really interesting from my standpoint. Um, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm not really, I started my Instagram way late, so I have almost no followers. I've done a lot of like pretty successful gifts on Twitter. So I have a decent following on there. Um, you can always message me. You can go to my website. I'm sure uh, Tom will link that. That'll all, yeah, that'll all be if, in the description. If you want to chat with me on a podcast, then I'm happy to chat with anyone who's got interesting <laughs> subject matter. I I don't have time to edit anything. I'll probably throw it on YouTube, but it doesn't guarantee anything with me, um, which is why I really appreciate people like Tom who have, you know, your whole channel, Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon for giving opportunities and taking the time because I know the last conversation we have, you know, we went for three some hours and it ended up being a two and a half hour video and you edited out the perfect things because I'm like, oh, I look stupid there. You edited that out. Thank you so much. Oh, I, it, it, you know, and a lot of sometimes we even we had we didn't do that with that episode, but sometimes we even take the parts we edit out, re put them together and make them loop like it's one coherent conversation and then just release it as like a B cut for <laughs> die shrink. So half of the time, it's not even if we sounded stupid because no, I'll me, speak, but... I'll speak for myself. I don't think you sounded dumb in, at all in this episode, at least. I don't, I, don't, I can't, I, mean, I didn't listen to the last one recently, but this one, you, it's just, it's about, you know, how it flows, if anything. Yeah. It, it's not, you know, you're you're not one of the notorious uh guests, yeah, yeah. so it's not like we're editing out a thousand uhs. <laughs> but um, all right. Uh, I speaking of uh, I will let you go then. Uh, I've got to get this to Gerard to edit. Speaking of the Moore's Laws Dead team, and I just you know remind everyone uh subscribe to this podcast on an app. Give us a review that really helps. And if you have the money, you'll get you get this early and ad free if you support us the right tier on Patreon and extra podcasts like Die Shrink. One came out this week early because this one came out later in the week than it usually does. But um. Otherwise, tell your friends about us, and uh, thanks again for coming on, Brian, and thanks to everyone for listening. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. 
That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Anthony Gareffa, Dale Russell, Jeremy Scallon, Loophole 35, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn, Jim Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Alkwari, Eric Osborne, Jeff Sedler, Andre Jacques, Sarcastro, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil S, D31337 Antics, Jackson A. Miller, Jesse Jeskowiak, Josh Law, Brandon, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Gaiman Since Reagan, Fatboy Deeseru, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Cole Attic, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, F7GOS, Matthew Landavazo, My Name is Nobody, Justin N. Alethros, Jensen Wing, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchek, Rentaro Matsukata, John Jameson, Sam Venzel, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Chris Licata, Michael McGee, Meyer Techrans, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, 3DS Boy 08, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Sandy Garrido, Saunderson, Joaquin Hagen, Teak Autumn, Solcaro, Michael Acosta, Delmain Peterson, Zichitz, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Ecker, Hexa Puma, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Zutsu Taylor, Trevor Power Stu, Elena, Nanan, Daniel Nishpal, Franco Frederick, Dan Gonowski, Ian Clifford, Axel Cisneros, Leighton Perry, Joseph Kerman, Brett Summers, Blake, Denovan Russell, Noah Nicolella, Zlicky, Matt Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulam, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoas Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Brucha, Jeremy So, Mitchell Pell, Silvanos, Eddie Del Castillo, Jacob Laster, Luis Correa, Deke, Chris P. Erbakken, Tyler Lindley, Tim Robbins, Jake223, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Kayumar Kelly, Dave McCoy, Valcom Alev, Gabe Langner, Ronnie Dianatek, Michael Dean, MJB1, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Chrysantine, Maisharona, Y. Trey, Roman, William W. Draper, Air Rats, Spam G. Spamton, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Amiable Chief, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, James Anderson, Shakir, Nick Raken, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, Arpeet Sharma, Meat and Pork, Jimmy N.G., Mads, Matthew Lazier, Benjamin Oshley, Mark Mitchell, Shield TV, Kuto, Aaron, John. 
Sean Wisink, Mohammed, Sean DeBont, Pulse Media, Sean Ashmont, Daniel Dewar, Stefan Jang, JSMMH, Georgie Kastadinov, PC Beast 22, Reginald Irie, Narithiel, Ivan, Charles, Russell Howell, Buma Akarsh, Adietya, The Grid, Andrew S., Chris Rich, Powell Zygartowski, D. Sith, Zabit 03, and thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>